0: Everybody. Welcome to We've Got Worm, a Daily Planet Films podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss the hit web serial worm week by week, arc by arc. My name is Matt Freeman, your host and asthma spreading psychopath, and I'm joined as always by my co-host and the crazed moron shooting lasers at everyone he sees, Scott Daly. Scott, how are things going this week?
1: What? Who are you? Stay away from me. Don't, don't make me kill
0: you. Scott, you were cured 15 minutes ago.
1: Oh, right. Uh, I'm doing really good, Matt, and uh, as you said, this is the podcast where you, the resident worm expert, guide me, a first-time reader, through the miasmic remnants of the city formerly known as Brockton Bay, as I inspect, interpret, and even speculate on what this story is and where it is going. This week, we are tackling part two of Arc 14 Prey, which covers chapters 14, 8, through the end of the arc, including uh, uh, two interludes. This section sees the end of the Slaughterhouse-Nine arc of the book, and while we definitely reach a climax here, um, things aren't as action-packed as I was, w- I was expecting, Matt.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting observation. It, it's, there's a lot more internal drama, and, and the scope of things actually narrows in to the point that we're, we're with a very small number of characters for most of the arc, where, whereas we had large battles with many characters in, in the, in the pre- preceding half.
1: Yeah, but it works so well. Um and and this is this is the kind of drama, the kind of conflict that I really like. As much as I loved the big huge leviathan fight and as much as I loved the big bomb dropping battle that was the last part of the arc, um that it ends on this personalized drama that it shrinks down to this um almost like two people fighting over the soul of one character um is is great.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think I'm probably going to make some uh and of return of the Jedi, uh, comparisons as we go forward. And, and I agree completely that, 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 the, the stakes that we're seeing are kind of a microcosm for the stakes of, of everything else that we've seen up to this point, actually.
1: Yeah. And I think the, the thing I'm really looking forward to getting into this is once we finish this, once we see the end of the slaughterhouse nine, um, at least as they were in the story to this point, it allows us to, to take a step back and look at what they are and what they represent and, uh, and why, they were part of the story at this time in our character's arc, so I'm really looking forward to that conversation. I'm really looking forward to this episode, so why don't we uh, we jump right in?
0: All right. Uh, well, yeah. So, so first of all, uh, comments and questions from the Reddit. Uh, we had, uh, as usual, some some interesting comments and questions from uh, from Wildbo. I think the thing that we singled out to talk about is that he brought up the idea of of doing a, a Worm Two podcast and. Uh, and I, I just kind of wanted to mention that as something that that I think uh, could work. Um, and and it, I guess I wanted to to put that out there as something for our, our listeners to to respond to.
1: Yeah, I would, I would, I, we saw some responses to this um, in in Wildbo's uh, comment thread. Um, and I've seen people ask us this before and we've responded in the Reddit before, but I don't think we've ever said on air um, what what our plan is and we're we're nearing halfway through the story now so i think it's a fair time to formally talk about what we think is going to happen next um as far as the schedule for this we're, we're planning on wrapping this thing up near the end of the year i think that's how if we don't split any more episodes into two um more than we've already planned right now, um, not n- excluding some some mail bags that we're going to do here and there. Um, we'll finish up at about the end of December, um, and then uh, and then what's next? So, I like the idea of doing a worm two cast. I think by definition it would be a very different animal because it, it, even if we started. Um, covering it just like we're doing this one we'd catch up to the writing very fast and then we'd have to switch forms we'd have to switch to doing a um, kind of live reaction with the community type of podcast which i think could be good um but it would be different so i'm not sure i'm not sure if that's what people want uh, if people want it uh, we'll do it um so you you guys out there, if you're listening to this, if you think that's a good idea or not, please let us know, um, and and we'll make that decision as we get closer and closer. So,
0: yeah, it's it's something that I think I would enjoy doing anyway. So, uh, I'm, I'm I'm tempted in in that direction, certainly.
1: Yeah, people have sure. also asked us about doing Twig, um, doing Pact. Um I, I don't think the plan right now is to do that. Um I personally am definitely going to read those things after after this just because I've enjoyed this so much, so I wanna I wanna experience Wild Bill's later work and and you keep telling me that Twig is, is because because his writing has improved so much it's better written than this, um, which is kind of amazing. So um I, I don't know if we'll do like a full blown out podcast series on it, but maybe um we'll have like a one shot one or two episodes where we talk about it. Um, That seems like something that would be fun to do um, without a full, you know, full year time commitment type thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, people feel free to, to comment on, on, on all these topics and and about what you would like to see. And maybe someone will suggest an idea that we haven't thought of that could, uh, that that could be fun and work better than, than what, than what we're thinking right now.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. My, my personal opinion is doing a live worm to read with everyone would be a lot of fun um, because uh, we'll have two to three chapters a week. So it'll be a lot less intensive for you and me um, to prepare because it's less content by nature. And then, and then we're both kind of together speculating. We're both live reacting to the story and what it's doing. And I think there could be a lot of excitement and interesting conversation, uh, mixed in there. Um, and and I think it's a good idea, but uh, some people might not like that. Um, I'm kind of continually surprised that people tell me that this my speculation part of the podcast is is their favorite part. Um, I was not expecting that when we started doing that. So I don't know. Maybe you guys like something different and that's not what you want. So, yeah, like Matt said, please let us know and uh, and we'll we'll see what what you guys say.
0: Yeah, Well, I, th- I think the reason they like your speculation, Scott, is dramatic irony, which we'll get into.
1: <laughs> Ooh, that's um, great.
0: That's great. Yeah. So, so there were there were a few there were uh, actually there were a lot of really good comments this week, but uh, we, we did single out uh, a few more. Um, so, uh, maroon sweater uh, in regards to what would Jean Luc Picard do? Points out that Jean Luc would never ever kill a uh, mercy kill a comrade or say that it, that torture had permanently broken a person, um, or, or that Bonesaw had done something so bad to Brian that his life was not worth saving. Um, Scott, how do you how do you respond to this?
1: Yeah, so uh, Maroon Sweater, uh, you, you got me, you got me here. You're you're absolutely right. Like I can't even, I can't even argue against that. I, I still kind of think that Taylor acted selfishly in this moment. Um, I, I think she, she was primarily motivated by her own personal wants and needs, and not she wasn't specifically thinking about Brian himself. But you are absolutely right that Jean Luc Picard would not have given up on Brian; would have refused to give up. And uh, and I say that I think that right there is the power of this saying. And even something that just happened a few weeks ago, I can take this and now look back on it and say, yeah, um, I was maybe jumping on her a little bit too much. This 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 arc was full of her acting selfishly that I let my own kind of moral code slip. And this reminder of yours set me straight again. So thank you for calling me out on that. I, I do really appreciate that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there are four lights, Scott, remember. <laughs> um uh so uh yeah, um just uh just because we, we, we're gonna get into this later, uh Kifru commented about the the fact that we're basically gonna be seeing a battery three b he, he did it in spoilers, uh, but because we've now read that uh we've now read up to this up through this point, we can I, we can talk about the fact that he, he called out that um the interactions with battery actually Constitute basically a three beat. Um, we're gonna we're gonna get in that when we get to that point in time in the story, but we wanted to call out right now that he pointed that out for us. Yeah, you or she.
1: Yeah, I I love this too because that that's I think kind of what happens the first time that you're like introduced to the idea of of the rule of three and the power of three beats. Um, you kind of just start seeing them everywhere <laughs> because mm-hmm. they yeah. are everywhere. So uh, I really appreciate that that Kifu called us out for this, and I think it's it's really interesting, and we'll get into it because it's doing some interesting things, intentionally or not. Uh, but it's definitely there. So yeah. look look forward to that.
0: Yeah, and then uh, Pita Enigma points out the the line where Taylor briefly sort of sees the Tattletale would be a great cult leader. But doesn't manage to notice that Tattletail helped widen the gap between Taylor and her father, gave her an escape to Tay from school, and brought her into the Undersiders. And uh, just a funny little bit of uh, lack of self awareness there.
1: Yeah, I'm glad, Pete, anyway, that you, you brought this up because I had actually written this down, um, not in my formal notes, which is why I missed it, missed it but just like in a a cell phone note as i was reading because i noticed it and was like oh i need to write this down and then i uh, totally forgot but yeah this is this is amazing um because it is it is this complete lack of self-awareness that that the tattletale did this now whether or not tattletale did it intentionally or not is a completely different story but um she did she she like got in there between taylor and was always there for her kind of pushing her towards them um and and everything that that Tale is doing to Amy in in this moment that she did to Taylor.
0: Yeah, there's that element of powers that the power a person gets is always like Taylor made for them to be the worst power that they could get for them as a person. So uh, so so you could argue that even if Lisa is not doing it intentionally, it's uh, it's um, it's still coming from her worst impulses, I guess. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um yeah. So uh yeah, that's uh that's all the comments we had to talk about this week. So let's uh let's dive into the beat by beat summary let's do and it. discussion. It's going to be all a right. long one. Yes, it is. <laughs> so uh we open on 14.8 with Skitter flying back to the undersiders from her discussion with Legend. She updates them on the situation that we just left with Legend and Siberian's creator mentioning that bone saw's threat could come into play now. They consider what the attack could possibly be, and Tattletail urges them to think of Bonesaw as less a scientist or doctor and more an artist or performer.
1: Yeah, I think this is a, it's especially important to remind us the readers about, um, since we've seen that like the power of Bonesaw is almost infinite. Like when she uh, took out the merchants, she like concocted the solution that just made everyone spontaneously <laughs> combust. Right. Um, so, like, this seems like Wildbow talking to us, the reader, as much as it is to Talitaire talking to the group. A reminder that yes, Bonesaw could kill everyone in one foul swoop if, if she wanted to, but that's not really what she nor the nine are actually interested in. Um, and of course, the reality is is much worse than just dying. Um, but yeah. I, I really, I really like this moment. Um, my favorite part of this whole conversation, though, is when Trickster says, uh, "If we're lucky, we won't have to worry about Bonesaw's plot." And it's a it seems that he hasn't been reading this book because <laughs> of course, of course, it's going to happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think it, it was funny because when, when Bonesaw used that, that exploding person, uh, whatever it was, Jack was like, had to had to be like, no, 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 no pandemics. And it's like <laughs> the direct implication is that she could do that and she's intentionally causing it to not do that. So that's terrifying. Yeah. yeah.
1: Which, which is, again, I think ties into how different of monsters uh the slaughterhouse nine are that that you know we're going to get into i think we're going to talk for a a length about the difference between leviathan as a big bad and the slaughterhouse nine as a big bad and they're very Mm -hmm. different kinds of monsters and different kinds of evil um and i think that's important to where taylor is in in the story right now and we'll we'll get to that later
0: Mm -hmm. yep um yeah, so so Tattletail doesn't actually have any particular information edge here and, and she doesn't really have a good starting point, so her power is unreliable in figuring out what the uh what the upcoming bone saw attack could be. Uh, so this is actually a nice timely reminder to the to the reader again that Tattletail's power gives her wrong answers if she's working off bad or insufficient information.
1: Yeah, and I love this idea of of tunnel vision, as Brian puts it, Um, because you use your power to grasp one piece of information, and then that piece of information leads to another one and another one and another one, and then that works great unless the initial point was wrong, and then you just sent yourself down a chain of events where everything you've learned is wrong and you've made all these grand assumptions. Um, And it is this serious uh, limitation on her power, and... um, it happens, it, it's it's something that happens without superpowers, too, right? Like, human beings do this, we take, we, we may jump to one conclusion, and then we take that conclusion, and we link it to, to something else, and to something else, and to something else, and it's all wrong, but it's all based off this inaccurate conclusion, and I think this ties into my theory about Lisa, um, this idea that she had this this immense personal tragedy of some sort in her family, and um, this idea that... that uh, I didn't know X, I didn't see Y, which then extrapolates out to, well, then Y wouldn't have happened, Well, which makes Z true, Z three, like you could go th- on and on this, and I think this is uh, an example of uh, Lisa's personality conflicting with Lisa's power.
0: Yeah, I love, I love this idea of taking a, a very human trait and, and twisting it into a superpower.
1: Right, yeah.
0: Yeah. So Skitter suggests that they try to track down Panacea now because whatever this uh, this thing Bonesaw is going to do is, she's really the only cape who could counteract a bioweapon. So they just they just want to find her first.
1: Yeah, and this is perfect. Like, we take our two main conflicts of the arc and we're merging together. We have Amy's internal struggle um, and the Undersider's battle with the, Shatter- the Slaughterhouse Nine. And now we've just, like, naturally merged these two things into one central unifying conflict and this is this is what good writing looks like this is how you do it you as you as you build towards your climax you take these various conflicts and you and you mold them into one um to cement your theme and i think that's just so well done here it's so naturally done
0: yeah yeah i i agree that it's that it's very naturally done here because you i i don't think i even noticed the artistry of it until you you pointed it out in this way and and saying that this was really two threads that are actually now one thread and and this is the crux of everything. And this is almost why the nine are here is, is for her specifically, you could say.
1: Yeah. And, and the, the, the success or failure of the slaughterhouse nines, um, time in Brockton Bay is now solely up to the one character who has been struggling the most throughout this arc. So Mm -hmm. I think that you're right. It's just a perfect tying of these two threads.
0: Yeah. So while the undersiders and travelers are discussing things, they suddenly see the water along the streets turning crimson, a dark blood red. And the shift in color happens very rapidly, suggesting that uh, whatever was in place was, was already there and it's just being sort of activated chemically now. And a red miasma rises in the wake of this transition.
1: It's such a nice little touch. Like it's so saw to make like the waters turn red as blood. Like it's yeah. just a biblical plague. Like like it's just dramatic. Like Tadlessil talked about artistry, and this is I mean classic like dramatic artistry here.
0: Right. Yeah. You can imagine saw being like, well, it's it's not turning red. Maybe I can add something to make it turn red. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the undersiders and travelers start trying to run away from this this tide of, of red um, gas, basically um they're they're on their various modes of transport some of them are on dogs some of them are on um um you know taylor taylor's on giant flying bugs giant flying bugs, so flying bugs. Shatterbird awesome. is carrying regent everyone has <laughs> it's getting fairly complicated how people move around at this point tricksters teleporting people um <laughs> so uh, the sun so, so tries to slow the progress of the miasma with her with her little son but it's clear that it won't be enough Uh, and and that it's going to be coming in from all sides eventually. So the group tries to make it to higher ground. Um, Trickster and Tail make it up uh, to a rooftop on one of the dogs, and Taylor and Trickster do an elaborate series of swaps involving Taylor's own body and Swarm Clones and Atlas, Um, and it becomes obvious that it won't end up mattering because the miasma, uh, as Lisa calls it, uh, won't stop rising at the rooftops, so they really can't escape it.
1: Yeah. And the sense of hopelessness here is really like, it's so well established. And, and if you look at, at the writing in this area, like, like how, how, how do you as a writer convey this complete feeling of hopelessness via just sentences and words? And, and, and this is how, like, if you look at the prose, like they weren't running fast enough, but it wasn't enough. It was a matter of time. He wasn't as agile as the other dogs. It was too slow that meant precious little these words like they just pound this hopelessness into you and 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 you keep beating that drum again and again um and even if it's subconscious like you're seeing all these these negative words and this this negative connotation and it just beats it into you this hopelessness and it's all capped off with with taylor saying at the end i think they're caught i i don't know what to do and it's just this wonderful moment like we i don't think we've ever seen taylor like fully this hopeless she's just like she has no like her her wiles and her tricks like are kind of useless here
0: yeah yeah that you're you're totally right i agree with i agree with everything you're saying about how the the prose is structured i also think we're going to see more of this in just a minute um a lot of the hopelessness is conveyed by showing certain of the characters who are normally very aggressive people just kind of accept what's about to happen essentially Yeah.
1: yeah yeah absolutely
0: yeah so so yeah they're cornered as you say and they have nowhere left to escape except really by using atlas because atlas can just keep going up and up and up um so tattletale suggests that taylor go go on by herself go solo and hunt down uh, whichever of the nine she can find now that there's a chance that they'll be less on guard because this this attack is underway um taylor though is is you know going to be Taylor, so she insists on trying to get her friends at least get her friends to a higher rooftop Uh, before this happens Um, and trickster and tattletail agree to this but when taylor flies over to the higher rooftop and starts the process trickster swaps sundancer there instead of tattletail and himself so the implication is that they know that the miasma will reach them before uh, trickster can get them across and they're basically in a sense sacrificing themselves And, and they do it in this like you're like you're pointing out this very like just kind of hopeless and and slightly creepy way actually
1: yeah i i really love taylor in this moment because her inability to give up you know we touched on it with her inability to give up on brian and how john luke picard that is um (laughs) and, and i think we see it here too like regardless of the odds she doesn't want to give up and it's really heroic and then trickster here like he 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 does kind of give up. He resigns himself to his fate, but he's he tries to save Sundancer first, and he sends his teammate on instead of himself because maybe I don't know if he was thinking specifically. Well, maybe Sundancer can use her son to keep it away from her, or not. Or it was just like I can't save everyone. You're my teammate. I'm gonna save you. um I, I like it either way. Um, it it might be a little of both, but I, I just I, we've gotten to know the travelers a lot over the course of of this arc. And the last few arcs, actually, this whole Slaughterhouse Nine arc of the story, rather, Um, and I like them a lot. Like they're they're confusing, they're interesting, and and they seem like mostly good people.
0: Yeah, that I like. I like that you could actually read a tremendous amount into into him sending Sundancer uh, one way or the other. Um, And and yeah, they're they're very they're very compelling as as side characters who've kind of grown on us. And and I even like the minor touch that like. Uh, Trickster and Tattletail have been slightly at each other's throats recently. Yeah. Um, but but now they have this kind of moment together where they just kind of silently are standing on the roof together and, and accepting that the the gas is going to get yeah, them. Yeah.
1: Well, while her and Sundancer have this moment, they even mention that it looks like Tattletale and and Trickster are sitting over there and they're having their own kind of uh-huh. personal moment of talking to each That's other. Right. And yeah. It's this like this this weird kind of I guess. Um, resolution of the conflict that's been been between these guys really just in the periphery in the background Um, Mm -hmm. I I don't think if we hadn't been sitting here talking about it every week I don't know if I would have even noticed this background conflict between these two characters but it's definitely there
0: yeah yeah so yeah so speaking of which Taylor and Sundancer are indeed sharing a moment together Um, Sundancer talks about about being alone um, and and how that's kind of been a theme in her life or or rather not being alone has been a theme in her life and how being alone is a terrifying idea to her. Um, Skitter puts forth her notion that people can endure quite a lot, um, which, which is actually a nice setup, even though this isn't the first chapter of the arc, it does nicely dovetail with Jack's later comments about humans being basically evil products of completely amoral natural selection.
1: Yeah, I totally agree here, but it's it's also interesting how Taylor's like, I, th- I think Sun Answer specifically says this isn't the time for optimism, and Taylor's like, no, that's not optimistic. Like, I actually think that our ability to survive things creates people like Jack and Mannequin. Um, that that the idea of trauma and the surviving the trauma creates monsters because we're not willing to just like lay down and die, I guess. Like she gets really yeah. pessimistic in this. Yeah. Um, and, and it, it does, she does kind of dovetail from, from Jax, but she's also kind of supporting what he's like. It's very interesting.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, <laughs> I think he would actually have a, uh, uh an in with her if, if he, if he took the right approach. Cause
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, it's, and I think we're, it, we're going to see, that um, she kind of goes against this argument later. But right now, she seems to kind of be, yeah. uh, I agree with you, Jack, yeah. uh, at least unknown to her. Yeah.
0: Well, there's a lot of sides to her, and I think that's good and realistic. Yeah, so, so anyway, eventually, as the gas is rising, Skitter leaves her, flying on Atlas, and Sundancer uses her orb on the area around her, hoping to perhaps screen off whatever the effect of the miasma is.
1: Yeah, this this moment with Sundancer, it's beautiful. Uh, It's tragic. And but I think once again, we're kind of reinforcing what the next main conflict in the series is going to be about. Um, The the Traveler's elephant in the room or or Noel in the vault, um, (laughs) as it were, Um, because like I said, we've gotten a lot of time with these guys now. And and I think we understand who Sundancer and Trickster and Ballistic and, and Genesis are. Um, we, we know they still have a lot of secrets from each other. Um, but, but we see that like Taylor's conflict with Coil is going to come to a head soon and these guys are going to be in the middle of it. And how many of them are going to get hurt by her, her fight against Coil? Like, what's it going to do to these people that now we kind of know and and care about a little bit. And I think this is really fabulous, like long-term setup.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Working under the assumption that, that your, that your forecast is right there. Um, it, it is. It is great that we've basically at at this throughout this whole arc, actually, it's been like the travelers and the undersiders do this. These these people from the travelers and these people from the the undersiders are doing that. Um, It's their teams are very integrated at this point.
1: Yeah, we usually when you and I are talking, we usually shorthand it and say the undersiders. But really, you're right. The entire time they've been almost one cohesive unit.
0: Um, Right. And, and the moments of, of domesticity where they're cooking breakfast together and stuff yeah, like that. absolutely. So, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So Skitter's flying up over the city and she sees that essentially the whole city is enveloped by this miasma. Um, and, and eventually she notices flashes of light, which she supposes must be legend. Um, um, so, yeah, Scott, did you want to read this section?
1: Yeah, sure. So, yeah, she sees uh, she sees Legend, and, and it says, I held the book of my swarm at bay, waiting for the moment I could assist Legend in fighting the Nine. He wasn't fighting the Nine. Legend was shooting teammates. He shouted something, but neither my ears nor my bugs were able to pick up the words. And I wanted to... to, to to talk about this specifically because one of the things we haven't talked about a lot in the series in our podcast so far is sentence and paragraph structure. Um, I think there's a very specific reason for that because it it gets really boring (laughs) really fast uh, especially in an audio format where like I can't show you uh, the paragraph that i'm referencing but i did want to draw attention to it here because i think this is a really great example of just how effective spacing uh, and and paragraph breaks can add to to the work um because in the section uh, i just read there's a paragraph break between i could assist legend and fighting the nine and he wasn't fighting the nine um in fact he wasn't fighting the nine is a like a paragraph of its own and this kind of forces you to naturally pause between each of the sentences you don't go right on reading you you have to shift your eyes down and you pause so it makes the line a shocking reveal that lands more impactfully he wasn't fighting the nine pause for dramatic effect then move on and and you know this is this is really small stuff um wildbow might not have even like consciously made the choice to do it that way but it does do something and it does work really well and and yeah. this is all through the book
0: yeah, I'll I'll I bet that he that he does do it, uh, consciously and and with with great intention because I've actually seen Wild Bo talk in, in the Reddit here and there about this this exact uh, idea. Um, he, he definitely does this in on purpose. I think uh, I think even what he studied in school had something to do with, you know, how how the medium affects the the perception of the person you know consuming the medium and uh i'm sure I, i'm sure i butchered that but uh but the, the the point being that um when you're when you're writing and when you're you know when you know people are going to be reading something in a certain format you you use all of the tools at your disposal and one of those is literally how the words are spaced out on the page i think Wildo actually uses a lot of paragraph breaks um yeah he does like like more than an average writer and i i think he uses them to to similar effect um to this in the sense of he's he's spacing out your your thoughts for you almost
1: yeah i agree um and i think there are there are some writers who don't use enough of them and Mm -hmm. it kind of um especially when you're reading when you're not reading aloud when you're reading silently to yourself it kind of forces you into a jumble almost um and these these moments don't land as much so yeah that was really good um i liked it a lot but but how about we talk about the the actual content all this because this is kind of important
0: Sounds good. So the heroes are all fighting each other, uh, we see, trying to use non-lethal weapons, but becoming increasingly uh, terrified and violent. Uh, Skitter flies down and tries to talk to Vista, um, but it's quickly apparent that Vista doesn't know who she is and thinks that there's a good chance that Skitter herself is a member of the Nine. Vista uses her power to keep Skitter at bay, which draws Legend's attention.
1: Yeah, and and we've moved kind of right from just total hopelessness into this confusion, the state of like confused paranoia as we're seeing all this stuff happen. And I think one thing we're probably going to hit multiple times as we go through is just how effective that confusion and that paranoia gets into our heads. The reader as we're in Taylor's head, as she's experiencing it, Um, it's really well done. It's really fantastic. Uh, It's it's so good.
0: Yeah. This is very unique part of, of this story and, and, pretty unique in terms of anything that i've read um this this really s- stands out as a section and we'll get into why exactly uh it, just one little beat we have we, we, we she's looking at legend and uh, and it says he'd taken off the hazmat style mask and filter and what little i could see if his expression was drawn his eyes were narrowed a vein stood out on his forehead and he furtively looked from vista to me and back again and i think that this uh, this description of legend serves as a fantastically effective touch of horror uh to take a character who's been established as highly unflappable and show how flapped they are by the situation <laughs>
1: absolutely uh legend like as as we forget as a member of the triumvirate one of the three most powerful capes in the world basically um and he's he's like also been consistently like the only one in the protectorate that seems like a decent human being. Um And he's like completely laid low here. He's completely as panicked and arguably even more so than some of the other capes here. So it's this very like kind of humbling moment that this is, this is the level of which we're dealing with something here.
0: Yeah. I, I love the use of the word furtively actually, because it's like, that's the last word you would think of to describe legend, but this is yeah, how yeah. out of sorts he is. So anyway, legend shoots, skitter off of atlas using his stun lasers and she lands on a rooftop and then she inhales the miasma and vista pins her in place with part of the rooftop so she can't do anything uh legend calls vista a little girl which doesn't go over well at all and while skitter is trying to think of why this might be uh she realizes that she doesn't remember who the girl is or what her own parents or the other, other undersiders look like or any real personal details about any of them and she's already forgotten who Legend is, too.
1: Yeah, uh, I want to talk about the, like, the thematic elements of the miasma for like 20 minutes. Um, but I think we should wait a little while on, on that before we learn a little bit more about it and see how it's exactly being used. Um, so I do, what I do want to touch on right here is just the sheer panic. And that, that like suddenly not being able to remember things, what, like what that would do to you. And it, yeah. it suddenly makes sense, even that the, the legendary legend is panicking in this moment. Um, but even even more so that I love how Taylor handles the memory loss, like so methodically, like so tailory. Um, we got a comment on last week's episode that we didn't have time to address in the comment section, but... Um, uh, how do you pronounce this name?
0: Dr. Dr. Edit, Ed-it
1: what? what? <laughs> or dread it what? I don't know. But this, this commenter mentioned that on top of Taylor's other many skills and issues that we've listed as we've gone, she's got something uh, he or she called uh, Taylor's toolbox. That is her ability in a crisis to like instinctively take stock of everything in a rational methodical approach. And she does this here. Like the second she realizes it's some sort of amnesia, like she runs down things. She says, my name is Skitter, Taylor and, Hebert is that how you say her name? Yeah, I've never actually said that out loud in the whole time we've been. It, it's weird. <laughs> Sixteen, born in Brockton Bay, student at Winslow High, ex-student, member of the Undersiders. No problems on that front. My line of thought continued absently, absently, as if I wanted to reassure, my, reassure myself that I was mentally intact. My parents are Dan and Annette Rose, and like this is so Taylor. Like this is her doing what Taylor always does.
0: Yeah, right. It's that's one of the things where. It's it's like, you know, the fish swimming through water that doesn't doesn't know what water is like you you're you're so um, inundated with Taylor's perspective that it's not until someone draws your attention to the fact that her perspective consists of this consistent pattern of mining her environment for essentially tools you can use. And those tools may actually be other people. Um, (laughs) Yes, it's uh, and, and, and yes, other characters, when you're in their heads, they don't do this. So it, it is yeah. it is really yeah. a Taylor thing. Absolutely. So at this point, she suspects that Legend's behavior is the product of more than just this amnesia that, she, that she's experiencing, because he seems a lot more agitated than she's feeling. She ends up being able to wriggle out of Vista's trap, and she makes it down to the street. The area is, is damaged by the hero's battle, but now deserted.
1: I really want to be able to film this scene, Matt, because yeah. the visuals in my head are really great, like empty streets, like decimated buildings, still like a layer of water all over everything, like paranoia, like and all covered in this reddish haze, like, and I'd shoot it like really thickly, like almost like a fog. You can only see a few feet in front of you. So they're like people running through it, like past you, but like mm-hmm. you'd shoot it like where they're almost a blur where you can't tell who they are. Like, uh, this is this is so great. And like legends overhead and they're like lasers, like piercing through the fog. Like the, the cinema behind the scene yeah. is so excellent.
0: Yeah. And you got you got screaming and yells and terror. All, right. All around, right. Yeah. 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 And I, that's that's a good point. I don't know if it's ever explicitly noted, but I mean, I'm I'm 99 percent sure that it's not just capes that are being affected by this. So you've got potentially everyone in the city. Is, yeah. of is yeah. Going going nuts. Uh, a monster appears, and Taylor isn't sure if it's Crawler or one of Rachel's dogs. Uh, obvi- obviously, to us, it's a dog because we know Crawler's dead, and and from the description of the thing. Uh, but but she's she's frightened of it and uncertain, so she escapes from it, uh, and she's eventually waved down by a blonde girl. The girl says she's Tattletale, uh, but Skidder keeps the gr- the gun pointed at her, and Tattletale begins to explain that it's not amnesia, but uh agnosia i suppose is how you say that i never actually said that out loud even though i've used it as an alias before (laughs) on other websites Um, well
1: this is what doing a podcast does to you it it forces you to say these things out loud and then you sound like an idiot
0: that's right embarrassing uh so yeah so it's it's an inability to use knowledge that we do have um which uh I, i i knew that word from from blindsight i just never said it before. oh you
1: mean your favorite book ever that you did a review for on dailyplanetfilms.com
0: that's correct blindsight by peter watts <laughs> um, so she uh tattletale quote-unquote tattletale guesses that it's a prion uh attack uh, prions are maliciously folded effectively self-replicating proteins that cause various illnesses such as uh, mad cow disease or creutzfeldt felt in humans um I think I said that wrong too. So uh, she also <laughs> stares at this. Uh, uh, sorry, she also states that this is a fast-acting and incurable and, and terminal uh, illness, and and leads Taylor to the conclusion that they need to go find panacea fast
1: so this is i I love this of course and it's the kind of thing that a second reading really rewards you with um the first reading you're so paranoid you're so tense you don't know what to believe and on a second read through you know what's being done how exactly taylor's being manipulated here that this almost comes off as funny like i almost laughed reading this part again um because like it's so it's so there but it's like so cleverly hidden um it's really great
0: yeah, right. It's it's funny because there are certain things that uh, quote unquote Tattletale says where the second time through you're like, how did I not immediately catch that the first time? But but the first time you're you're like, well, it could just be Tattletale <laughs> behaving strangely, I guess. And yeah, it's it, it's exactly the the perfectly appropriate kind of like uncertainty and paranoia that you're supposed to be feeling because the characters are feeling it and, and they're in the same state.
1: Yeah, and and if you look at the actual words you can see how wild Boat did it because the descriptions of who, what people are like specific descriptions almost disappear. Once Taylor's under the, the the effect of the miasma, like we see, like we see very like only specific things are pointed out, like smiles are pointed out, like big toothy smiles are pointed out, but like mm-hmm. what people look like, um, how people are standing, what they're doing, is all left really vague, and it just it just it just creates this sense of like like trapped, claustrophobic paranoia. It's so it's so well done.
0: Yeah. Speaking of like claustrophobic, for some reason, after after uh, calms Skitter down, Gru steps out from from cover, and you you kind of realize he's been there the whole time, which is terrifying. To me, like <laughs> yep, and, and uh, Skitter's still not really budging on on uh, being persuaded to go to go with them and find Panacea. So tattletail crawls over to her and presses her forehead against the gun and asks her uh, what her heart is, is telling her. But <sighs> but Taylor is still skeptical, and quote unquote Gru also tells her to trust her heart. And finally, he's able to overwhelm her rational skepticism by wrapping her in a hug and then taking her hand and pulling her along with him. Um, and, and she goes with him at this point. And they, they tell her to call Coyle when they get a cell signal to find out where uh, <laughs> Cherish is.
1: This is all so weird. Like, it's mm-hmm. so uncomfortable. Um, just everything that they're doing, and you're like, this this doesn't sound like Tattletail. This doesn't feel like Rue. But you don't you don't know what's going on. And, like, you're just so uncomfortable. Like... The, the crawling on your hands and knees to put your head up to the gun. It's yeah. so strange. And you're so like knocked off course and you just don't know what to make of it. you're just uncomfortable. Oh, it's so good.
0: Yeah. It, it, I had to actually force myself to put myself more in a frame of mind of a first time reader, because you, you have no reason to suspect really that these people are of course who they actually are. Um, like it's it's not an immediate easy guess, but when when you're rereading it, of course you you know. So there's you're like, oh, it's obvious. Um, <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to mention that it's it's really not it's really not obvious the first time through. No, no. Yeah. So um, yeah, I I agree that that's a weird and uncomfortable moment where where Gru is behaving in a way almost as if he's someone pretending to be Gru based on a few pieces of information he knows. Um,
1: <laughs> almost as if.
0: Yeah. Uh, and then at the end, uh, Taylor says something like, ah, I can't wait till we get the fuck out of here. And hey, Tuttletail paused, pointing at me with a stern expression on her face. Don't swear. Uh, and I'm pretty sure the first time I read that, I basically stood up like from where I was reading and just walked around the room laughing.
1: See, uh, I know this is going to kind of surprise people. It surprised me. Um, but I missed this. Like I I was in this perpetual state of of mistrust. I was in Taylor's mindset. And I was actually thinking of how great it would be narratively for Tattletale to not actually be Tattletale. Um but like the specific swearing connection to Bone Saw, like I just my brain didn't make that connection at first. Um and, and this is absolutely supposed to be a reveal. You're supposed to get that connection instantly. Um but I didn't I just remember thinking, that was weird. But so was everything else that just happened. Um and I, I, like, I, I don't, I don't know why I didn't get the connection, but I didn't. Um, that being said, it's, it's insanely clever. Um, we'll get to how this all works thematically in a bit, but, but right now, um, even though I didn't get it in this moment, I, I think it's just such an amazing reveal. Like it's so good.
0: Yeah. It surprised me that you didn't get that too. Cause you get much smaller things actually, but, uh.
1: It's that's, just that's I don't a, know. I don't know how the okay. brain. Like I got that's, it eventually. Like,
0: yeah. <laughs> like
1: yeah. when I when I get the smaller things, it's because I'm sitting there staring over the text and like and like right. reading it multiple times. On my first just blind quick read through, uh, I don't know. It just it didn't it didn't make the connection.
0: I, I kind of blame it on reading speed because I'm pretty sure I read. I mean, as I've said many times, I read this super fast. Um, so like the the bone saw swearing thing was like practically in my short term memory, whereas for you it was like. You Know two weeks ago, yeah. I guess, yeah. So, yeah, so it's you know, you just it just wasn't as available for you. So that excuse that kind of makes
1: of, me feel less dumb, so yeah. I will take it. <laughs>
0: awesome, good, glad I could help. So, yeah, so we we move into 14.9, um, and um, yeah, so so the point of this is hard to to kind of make a synopsis for actually, it's hard to summarize because the point isn't just what's happening, uh, the, the point is, um The point is that what's happening could, in most cases, be credibly interpreted as real Tattletale and real Gru acting in slightly uncharacteristic ways due to their own paranoia, or as two members of the Nine pretending to be them. Um, And you, as the reader, were in the same state of suspense for the last bit of the last chapter, uh, but now, assuming that you got the swearing reveal, you see the bomb under the the Hitchcockian table— so the tension shifts from being this paranoia to being you're actually certain that these are these are the enemy that Taylor is with. Um, the tension becomes about whether Taylor Taylor will, will realize who she's with. And so, you know, dramatic irony isn't normally a really huge element in Worm. Normally, uh, we kind of the characters kind of know what we know and, and and we know what they know in, in many cases. Um but this section leans on dramatic irony heavily. And while we know Taylor is, you know, kind of a generally biased narrator, in this section she's explicitly an unreliable narrator and she doesn't even trust herself actually.
1: Absolutely. And and I really do love this. Um and, and because I'm an idiot, I got to read it both ways that you just <laughs> <laughs> expressed above. Um because I, I missed I missed that reveal. Um so I'm still even at the beginning of this chapter in this constant state of, is this grew in tale? Why are they acting strange? Is this someone else? And it did finally click for me in a few paragraphs. Um, I, 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 it, I didn't not know this until it's explicitly said. It, it did click for me eventually, just somewhere in my brain just said swearing. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I immediately stopped what I was doing. I went back up and started at the top of this chapter and I reread everything again, um, which was kind of a fun experience for me. Um, I. I I think I really like it's It's definitely intent. It's it's meant to be read as dramatic irony, and I think it does work better that way. You're obviously supposed to get what I didn't get. But I think it's the fact that it still works, even when you're stupid like I am, <laughs> um, is a testament to the writing that it it does work from both sides, because at this point they're acting weird, but they're not acting too weird um to where it's completely unbelievable so you're just kind of still unsure um it was an interesting experience i i wish i would have just picked up on things from the beginning but uh, getting to read it both ways was kind of cool
0: yeah uh, you you still got it well before taylor did so i think i think it it served its purpose yeah, and, but i mean I she's think,
1: under the effect of a <laughs> psychotropic <laughs> drug i am not
0: yeah well i think i mean i think what's cool about it is is it remains plausible that taylor would not have figured out who they are until she finally does and that's in order for that to be true, it has to be hard for the reader to figure it out with, you know, uh, other than basically being given hints that Taylor would have forgotten. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's fair. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So eventually she detects with her bugs someone following behind them. And uh, she she at, at the urging of her of her teammates, uh, she ties this person up with spider web and Skitter urges that they go on. But, uh, quote unquote, Gru wants to go back and investigate and deal with her uh, if she's a threat. So they go back to the tied up woman and Gru, who pulls out a knife and is obviously Jack, prepares to kill her.
1: Yeah. By now I had it had clicked for me. <laughs> by now I knew I knew this was Jack. Um so yeah, I mean, obviously he pulls out a knife. Grew doesn't have any knives, but um, even the moment where Gru says he wants to deal with her, that rang so unGrew for me that it that if it hadn't already clicked for me, I think it would have right there.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So Skidder continues to urge them to just go on and leave the woman there. Uh, ultimately, this scene turns into the two monsters trying to basically peer pressure Taylor into shooting the woman. Um. That they have a bit of, they have quite a bit of of back and forth actually, and it, it comes down to Taylor basically saying, "No, I'm not going to shoot her, and I'm not going to, I'm actually going to fight you if you try to hurt her," and and then Jack, who's pretending to be Gru, um, basically hammering all of her weak points and saying like, "Oh, so you're a traitor now," and and she knowing that she's sensitive to being called a traitor because she kind of has been a traitor, um, and and really just really working her over verbally because he, he has all of this information about her from various sources. Most of it from Cherish um, and and some of it from his own insights, I suppose it's, it's really relentless and it's painful to read. Mm-hmm. And eventually we see Jack realize uh, that his read on Skitter is actually not entirely wrong, but it's sufficiently off that he's not able to budge her into executing this woman Um, And he just kind of at this point, he just kind of contemplatively disengages from her and they move on, leaving the tied up woman behind.
1: Yeah. So, um, Matt, let's uh, talk about this for a second, um, because uh, this is probably uh, the most important decision that Taylor has made. In the entirety of the book so far. So I think it, it deserves sufficient coverage from us. Um, mm-hmm. Before we get into that, though, I, I want to talk about the miasma as a whole, um, because in a way, it's this perfect thematic representation of, of who the Nine are and, and what they do. Because the point we've been talking about for a few weeks now is that the Nine are, are, are yes, monsters, but they are, are monsters who are much more interested in making other people monsters. Um, they don't just want to kill people. They want to force other people to kill people. Um, they're here to sow panic, mistrust, violence, and hatred uh, into the denizens of the city. And and that's exactly what this miasma does. It, it divides people. It divides the team. It tears people apart from each other and forces them to act in their own sense of self-preservation and self-reliance which is which is exactly what the nine are um it, it's yeah. really it's like it's brilliant
0: yeah it, it literally like severs human connection it's it's a, right it's a it's a surgical you know super powered way of of severing all human connection and then just seeing what happens um it's it's a it, it reminds me a bit of of the thing actually but but it's it's better than the thing because in the thing the risk was you know the Thing was actually the threat, whereas in this scenario, the threat is that you're going to kill your friends accidentally, yeah. really. I mean, yeah. fundamentally, that's that's much more of the threat.
1: I want everyone out there listening that might not know that The Thing is one of Matt's favorite movies, so for him to say it's better than The Thing is a, a big deal.
0: <laughs> it's true. It's true.
1: Yeah, so so if, then we take this miasma, this this perfect thematic nugget. And that we layer it on what's happening with Taylor. Um, you know, prior to Ta- the, to Nine's arrival in the city, Taylor was in this really low moment. She was separated from her friends. She was alone. Um, she eventually rejoined the Undersiders, but we had all those moments of, of of strain in the group. You can see that it's rocky. That she's not fully connected to these people. Um, things were not back to normal, and they kind of stayed that way. The bonds were were continued to be strained um, throughout all these battles. Some the, the bonds were tested um in some cases they were kind of renewed we've seen her and Rachel kind of grow closer together again uh in others they've been stretched to this almost breaking point which is kind of happening in grew um so so the miasma to taylor represents kind of her fears coming true her friends leaving her her being alone um and we see Bonesaw saw and uh jack capitalize on that fear um and and even more so the miasma takes away taylor's toolbox that, that that superpower of hers to look at a situation and use every bit of information to know what to do with it um so that's gone now so taylor is kind of helpless and alone and and what would we say trapped in like a, a metaphorical tampon locker as it were I
0: you have yeah agnose your tampons
1: <laughs> yeah and so but that Jack and Bonesaw come and they capitalize on this. Uh, Taylor's fear of being trapped and alone, her fear of losing her friends. Um, this is kind of a culmination of Cherish's worm speech from a couple arcs ago. Um, Jack is pressuring Taylor to act, threatening to damage her tenuous friendship with the Undersiders in doing it. And uh, like he's, he's. You're right. As you said, he's poking at every little piece of of, of insecurities that Taylor has, but but it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like, why, why doesn't Taylor here kill quote unquote, a member of the slaughterhouse nine. Um, And I think this is, this is, this is the point, right? This is, this is it. Um, And we said a few arcs ago that, you and I both thought that while Cherish kind of hit a nerve with her depiction of Taylor, that we thought her read wasn't completely correct. And and J- Jack admits here, and, and as you said, that it, it's not true. Um, it's not fully who Taylor is. Uh, and it, it's got a lot of things wrong on a a fail, a fail fairly fundamental level. And we kind of see in in this moment who Taylor is.
0: And right. Yeah. Because fundamentally, she's she's willing to stand up for this this victim against her friends, and and we're we're seeing all these different facets of her personality kind of jockeying with each other. Because she she is she is tempted, actually. Like it's really hard for her to resist this pressure they're putting on mm-hmm. her. It's really painful for her, and and it really hurts her to have to to have to like stand up to her to her you know who she thinks are her friends. Um, um, but she's. When the chips are down, she's not going to to she's not going to kill someone for that, and and right. that's what's that's that's what you know that that's the the pivotal character moment here. You're right, right about that,
1: and it, and it's almost it's almost because of one of her greatest flaws that she doesn't act because we've said again and again that Taylor has this real knack to justify everything that she does. She can find a rational reason for acting in a certain way, um, even if the way would have been uh, reprehensible for her a few weeks ago. But she still needs that justification. She still needs the reason, and it needs to be a convincing enough reason for her. And and the ironic part of all this is that the miasma, this thing that Bonesar created to to trick Taylor into trying to cross this line is also kind of the thing that ensures her victory because she can't act here because the miasma like prevents her from being able to form this rational reason for doing the thing because she doesn't have all the information.
0: Right. She, she she kind of is powered by this sense of like certainty in her convictions. And, and like you said, the, the miasma robs her of, of certainty. And so she can't, she can't just, uh, you know, make these rash decisions
1: yeah and, and i just uh, like i love this i love this so much it, it it works so well the fact that like just how everything comes together because it's like it, it's it's brian and lisa and it's very it's very purposeful that it's brian and lisa these are the two people uh, that she kind of had the closest connection to in the group so far um so it's these two people challenging her it's it's everything that she was was afraid about it's everything that she was worried about all coming together, and in this moment, she chooses not to act, not to do it. Um, and I was wrong. I said that I thought that the Nine might pressure her into killing one of them, and or killing someone, and that doesn't happen. And and as far as I'm concerned, th- this is the moment that our protagonist defeats the Slaughterhouse Nine. Um, there's, there's a lot more that's going to happen in this arc that we're going to talk about. There's a lot more consequences of the events that are going to come. There's going to be this whole battle for the soul of Amy, and a battle that I'm not quite sure who wins but but here in this moment taylor beats the slaughterhouse nine here taylor wins and i think that's just so important
0: yeah i, I really like that prediction you made that they would try to make her kill someone because or that because they, they did try to they just didn't succeed and, and that's you know that, that, that that's that shows a lot of insight into what they're what they're all about
1: yeah and again i think we're going to we're going to get into what they're all about a little bit later but yeah in this moment um yeah, that's god it that's it's everything like it's everything this is this is like you're kind of like cheering for her in this moment that she made this decision and i know like you can partially explain it away by the miasma but i think that works more as a thematic element than a, just a, a, an excuse she doesn't kill this person because she's taylor and taylor would not do that um and that's yeah. good and 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 i'm not saying that this is still not a fatal flaw that's probably going to lead to her taking a life in the future. I still think that's going to happen, but here in this moment, she defeats what the nine represent and that makes me happy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So let's, before we go on, we have to talk about three beats, right? Because this was the the person on the ground that's tied up that they wanted her to kill is battery. Um, We learn that explicitly in the interlude, but it's also kind of heavily hinted here when we see like, her fighting the, the crawler spiders um, and yeah. how she moves and stuff. Um, so let's talk about the 3B here because these two characters have uh, interacted three times. Um, the first time was in the mall um, when Taylor was there and like in punched Emma uh, battery was there. Um, mm-hmm. Then again, when they encountered each other, both in costume in Skitter's territory at the beginning of her grasp for territory. And now here, Um, when uh, one is standing over the other, uh, pondering, killing her. So um, this is obviously a three beat. But what's interesting about this is if you you take a step back and look at it, because Battery did not know that Taylor was Skitter in their first meeting. Um, In the second meeting, they both sized each other up and they knew who they were. Um, In the final meeting, uh, Skitter did not know who Battery was and didn't act. And I think that's... Like your classic, like there's, there's, there's poetry to it, Matt.
0: Yeah, there, there's, there's definitely a symmetry. Um, I know people are going to point out that they also interacted very briefly at the fundraiser attack, but I, I don't think that necessarily counts because they barely even like perceived each other's presence.
1: Yeah, um, I think it's too, like I think it's, we need to look at actual interaction.
0: Um, yeah, 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 this, this was, I mean, I, I have a hard time not seeing that that, like not thinking this was intentional once it's (laughs) once my attention is drawn to it uh it's it's too it's it's too beautiful um (laughs) and uh yeah i i just i I love this whole this whole bit here um
1: yeah yeah
0: and 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 i think really Yeah,
1: it it shows a a difference between the two characters, um, especially since one's coming from one way and one's coming from the other, like battery assists in kind of the assault and removal of Taylor, not knowing she's Skitter Um, here, uh, Taylor, not knowing she's battery, grants her mercy um, and and neglects to kill her. Um, Now, I know there's there's a lot of contributing factors to both of those things, but still um, there is a, a symmetry to it.
0: Yeah, there's you know, there's also some interesting some interesting parallels that you, you, you could point out about Battery is this idea that she's she is a hero. Um you know <laughs> uh but she has these secrets that weigh on her. Like like yeah. the, the the cauldron thing is like this terrible like you get the sense or at least I get the sense reading her interlude um that 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 this was something that bothered her even though she tried to kind of put it out of her mind the fact that she had gotten her power in this kind of illicit way and that she had these mysterious favors that might not actually be you know used for the good and and she i think she had a lot of a lot of guilt about this and we even find out explicitly at the very end of this uh of this arc that she indeed thought it was such a serious thing that she felt she needed to confess about it yeah Um, yeah and and uh and and so it's kind of like kind of like taylor she's someone with with secrets and with regrets and with guilt Um,
1: yeah and she's also kind of a a perfect example of um you know uh the the ends justify the means because she gained these powers for a very specific reason and she did things um to help an organization that we see is not on the up and up um for the greater good to be a hero to stop bad guys and 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 kind of look what happened to her and it's i, I don't know it, it's tough um we're going to talk more about you know the end of battery later in the chapter but yeah i mean there is some parallels between those two i think that's absolutely right and i think this three beat kind of uh, cements that
0: yeah all right so we'll touch on some of these things as they come up i think but but we we can move on into the into the beat by beat so yeah so throughout all of this taylor is constantly feeling this Pre instinct this this feeling of dread and uh, ironically her heart is basically telling her to shoot these guys who she's with and her heart is right here
1: yeah it's really it's an interesting exploration of like how much our emotions and, and feelings are based on uh, memory recall and how much is some innate internal thing that that we're not even fully conscious of um, that even if we can't remember specifics of things that we have this 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 uh, i don't know evolution based feeling yeah. Um, that, that gets us, that is aware of danger.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I think about this kind of thing a lot, actually it's, it's intuition. It's system one versus system two thinking your, your brain does a lot of work that isn't verbal rationalization mm-hmm. and, uh, Taylor should maybe listen to herself here, but I see why she doesn't obviously. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. You can't blame uh, her. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, she, eventually she lies and tells them that, uh, the woman battery is out of her sensing range. Uh, at this point, her phone has service, so she calls coil uh, and then and while they're talking to coil, she detects the woman break out of the the uh the spider silk using her her super strength um, and as battery approaches, uh coil connects them with Cherish, uh reasoning that bridging the call poses the least risk, and of course, Cherish knows exactly who she's talking to because of her power, so she immediately starts dropping clues about where she is. Uh, mentioning like shipping containers and the sound of the ocean and stuff, and as the gift, as a gift to Jack, uh, to hopefully placate him, she tells him in Latin that he's going to end the world. And at around this point, Skitter figures out what's going on because of how weirdly Cherish was behaving, uh, but she keeps it together and doesn't let on that she's figured it out.
1: Yeah, I love how this kind of tied into unknowingly when I said it would be bad for Jack to find this out. Of course, I never I did not speculate that he would. Um, This is bad. This is bad news because this is the exact kind of thing that Jack would love. Um, But this section is really great because as soon as I finished it and figured out exactly what Cherish was doing, I went back and reread it again. Um, And it's so brilliantly written because the clues, they're right there. They're like they're almost so obvious when you when you know what's going on. But they're also just cleverly hidden enough that you don't quite see it. Um, and I love that. It's it's great.
0: Yeah, you, you can you can buy Coil not noticing it, even though he's the smart guy.
1: Right, so, right. Yeah. And it's funny because for a while I struggled with re- how reasoning in my head, how exactly Cherish knew that not only that Jack and Bonesaw were there uh, standing on the call right there, but how she knew that uh, they were pretending to be Gru and Tattletail. And then I remembered that she has a superpower and I am stupid. <laughs> so uh, I was like, how did that? Because I went read, right and It's like, did they ever speak out loud? No, of course they didn't, because then Coyle would know immediately. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it's it's of course, it's her power. And that's yeah. really well done.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a really like complicated and, and rewarding section of the book because because of good little little tricks like that. Right, right. Yeah. So Taylor senses battery fighting bone saws, robot spiders and, but she can't do anything to help without blowing her cover.
1: Yeah. And we know what happens here um, because of what happens later. And and I got kind of sad the second time reading this, knowing what happens that she's kind of powerless to help out. Um, yeah. And she is truly, I think powerless to help out. There's really nothing Taylor can do here.
0: Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree completely. Um. But she does kind of decide that she needs to get out of the situation because She's got Jack and bonesaw right next to her, and she's she's. I like the description that like she's she her heart is hammering so hard that her vision is wavering because I don't know if I've ever read that in a book anywhere before, but that is totally a a, a real thing that happens. Um, yeah. So yeah, before she can act though, Jack tries to kill her, uh, but she reacts quickly and uses bonesaw as a human shield, and the cut uh, the 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 you know the power blade cuts her her face but mainly cuts bone saw and she kind of comes out of it okay um jack as they're leaving her says it was fun i almost wish i'd nominated you for the nine you're versatile and there's so many weak points i could have exploited if i'd had more time if Cherish's information on you wasn't so misleading uh i think i could have made you shoot the heroin to corrupt you like that it would have been amusing uh and my my reaction to this is only a poor craftsman blames his tools Jack."
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm really glad you pointed this out because I'm really not sure that I, I think Jack is mostly bullshit here. Um, like I said, we're going to get into Slaughterhouse Nine as a whole at the end of the section. But I, I think I think Taylor won here. And I don't think Jack having a better understanding of her would have stopped Taylor from winning here. Um, I think she kind of showed how different she is from the nine specifically. Um, but I mean, obviously, the, the the war is far from over. Um, and the the. the, the the chapter ends on this this beautiful cliffhanger sentence that a couple sentences that I just love. When Taylor says, I wasn't thinking about winning anymore. I was thinking in terms of minimizing the damage when we lost. And of course, that's classic Taylor, because she just stopped them from making her kill someone. But she can't see victory in that. She has to go on right to the part where uh, we've got to do something about it. Things that are bad and and things are bad. But uh, I I love that pair of sentences.
0: Yeah, Yeah, me too. Yeah so this this chapter ends with them using the smoke bug poison and escaping from her. So Taylor as we move into 14.10 heads to Arcadia High which is now in addition to many of the other places we've seen in the story it's also a horror movie set. And I mean Taylor actually describes it as the prime location for a horror movie. Um and I like this tiny note uh, as we're as we're told about Arcadia High that everybody was supposedly really nice to each other at Arcadia and and I guess that's because the the wards go to school there and I guess you never know uh who's who's a cape and who's a ward.
1: Yeah, this is a little bit of a random social commentary. <laughs> uh plugged into our book here um the school Taylor went to is this poor struggling overcrowded school where people treat each other like crap and we don't have time to uh, deal with bullying and all this stuff and here's a well-funded well taken care of school that has literal superheroes attending it um you think you know Taylor would not have had her trigger event if she went to Arcadia High yeah. um so what does that say about our education system as a whole um uh, i think that's very important and subtle and i'm sure we'll get into more stuff like this, not this specifically, but going forward.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so uh, as she's moving in, Taylor's re- repeating the important information about her mission that she's, that she's kind of learned recently in her head so she doesn't lose track of it. It's kind of a memento moment. Uh, she thinks about using her bugs to signal for help. Uh, like a giant nine or something over the school, but decides against it on the basis that she doesn't want to get summarily bombed by Big O.
1: <laughs> is this just the miasma paranoia or uh, just a smart thinking? That's sadly probably a little bit of both.
0: Yeah, it is uh, it is both. So Yeah, uh, Taylor sneaks into the building uh, using bugs to check ahead of herself and avoiding uh, kind of obstacles that have been set up by Bonesaw. She finds Jack doing the Emperor Palpatine thing to Panacea. Uh, But unlike Palpatine's approach, which is basically be evil because you'll be stronger, which doesn't appeal at all to Luke Skywalker as a character, (laughs) uh, Jack's approach is actually well calibrated to Amy, and we can see it actually affecting her, uh, because he's systematically knocking away, knocking down her, her justifications against his arguments. And and he's offering her as a replacement. He's offering her what she wants, freedom from the constant suffocating burden of of her power and her family and offering her a new identity as Marquis's daughter, um, you know, someone free to do as she wishes for the first time.
1: Yeah. And this is such an important callback um, to kind of the Skitter and Jack conversation that just happened, Um, because Jack thought he knew Taylor and was trying to push her buttons and jack has a really good idea of of what panacea is and who amy is and 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 how to get her to where he wants her um all you have to do is is just become a monster amy that's it that's all you got to do um but yeah this is this is really great i love this entire conversation i love how we see like each time amy comes back with like a quip or a retort to what he says like it's weaker it's not as confident Um, we can see it working it's just really well done
0: yeah, I think normally in fiction like evil person seduces good person to the dark side is is very very rarely done correctly. Um in this case I think it's completely plausible because we've set up Amy as this person who's so um un- unsure um um you know, she's she's lost so much recently. She's so vulnerable. Um she doesn't, she doesn't make the best decisions, uh, so it just, it just works great. And I, and I wanted to specifically uh, highlight some of the things that Jack is saying because they speak to kind of his philosophy a bit, I think. So he says, uh, according to studies, clinically depressed individuals have a more accurate grasp of reality than the average person. We tell ourselves lies and layer falsehoods and self-assurances over one another in order to cope with a world colored by pain and suffering. We put blinders on. If we lose that illusion, we crumble into depression, or we crack and go mad. So perhaps I'm crazy, but only because I see things too clearly? And then a bit later. Over the course of millions of generations that led to your birth, how many of your ancestors were successful because they were cruel to others? Because they lied, cheated, stole from their kin, betrayed their brothers and sisters, warred with their neighbors, killed. We know about Marquis, so that's one. And Skitter thinks, how many were successful because they cooperated, I wondered. Um,
1: <laughs> what a moment of optimism from our pessimistic hero.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, well, she's, she's pushed to it, Scott. So, Yeah, yeah. so I, I read somewhere, probably from Yudkowsky, Uh, that the best stories are those where the author is actually having a legitimate argument with himself. Uh, And you can see both sides of the argument uh, because both sides are genuinely compelling, actually. Like, yes, we arose from the bloodbath of natural selection, but also we're these social animals who are evolve to, to cooperate. So we have this dual nature and what wins. And I think that's, you know, it's, it's fair to call this a theme of the work actually. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And I don't think this is an answer We we definitely don't get it today. We're not going to get it tomorrow. We might, we might, uh, not ever get a, a concrete answer to this, this, uh, conflict, but, um, it is really good. And one of my favorite writers ever um, is Aaron Sorkin, um, West Wing social network. You, you probably heard of him, but he loves to write both sides of an argument too. Um, and most West Wing episodes have two people sparring in political conversations about some policy or some issue. And he loves to come up with like to, to research and come up with convincing accurate reasons why uh, the other side is just as plausible and correct as his side, and and normally he lets at the end of it his side, the side he agrees with win, because Aaron Sorkin is a, is a very liberal person and he supports liberal democratic policies, um, but he still goes out of his way to paint that other side. Um, in convincing light, and and that is that is good writing. And to say that this writing reminds me of Sorkin is probably the biggest compliment I've given Wildbo so far. Um, <laughs> although Wildbo writes uh, much better female characters than Sorkin, because uh, Aaron Sorkin is really bad at writing women. Um, but that's a whole other conversation.
0: <laughs> All right, we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll pass the message along to this Sorkin.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll contact his people. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, uh, yeah, I also wanted to point out during this conversation uh, that we get a couple of interesting bone saw beats. First of all, Jack talks about her immaturity, like she's not there, and he constantly condescends to her. Uh, And she insists, yes, family, as in it's important to her that the Slaughterhouse Nine are indeed her family. Uh, And I just wanted to see if you had any thoughts about this, because this is the only time that I can think of that the text is asking us in any way for you to think of Bonesaw as a person, even passingly,
1: yeah, this is this is great, and I think you, you're absolutely right. Um, we're kind of forced to confront the idea of Bonesaw as a human being, um, which is very different. But I, I, I think it does link back to Amy's internal struggle rather nicely, um, because Amy is the type of person who has always wanted family and has never really felt like she had it. Um, so, like Bonesaw as a person who. Kind of wanted the same thing, and she thinks she's found it in Jack and the and, and Siberian and these people that are terrible and have uh, taken her already probably messed up brain and warped it to even worse levels. Um, but I think it also kind of ties back to Taylor too, because Taylor's been looking for a group that she can belong in, um, a family of sorts. She's never really felt like she's had it. Um, and, and it, it ties back to Taylor's struggle with, with her battery killing, you know, what would you be willing to do for the sake of family? Would you be willing to murder people, abuse people? Like, what would you be willing to do? Um, and, and I think that's a really nice callback and seeing these three characters all kind of play in the same area as, as we're struggling for Amy's soul.
0: Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, like you said, back to the specifics of the conversation, uh, Jack's offering her exactly what she wants ability to be carefree and bringing her back to her first memory in a way he's using the tools of a therapist uh, but for evil Uh, so eventually skitter she's kind of been preparing to make her attack all this time she takes in the scene she 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 gets you know line of sight on them she's describing everything with fresh eyes because she's forgotten what these people look like and uh, she shoots jack once but she messes up her follow-up due to the recoil of the pistol which I enjoy because I get tired of people being unreal, unrealistically proficient uh, with guns in fiction, just a pet peeve, I guess. Uh, And of course we've seen that the nine are pretty protected against bullets. Although, uh, you know, Skitter doesn't remember this because of the, of the (laughs) agnosia.
1: Yeah. There was actually a moment in the last arc uh, or at least the first part of last week's episode where she shot a gun and hit mannequin for the first time. It was like the first time she ever shot a gun and managed to perfectly hit this moving target. Um, it, it did rub me the wrong way a little bit. Uh, not enough to go crazy over it. Not enough to bring it up until now. But uh, I, I do like this a lot better because uh, guns are hard to shoot people. Like if you yeah. haven't, if you haven't held and shot a gun before uh, it's hard. Uh, yeah. If you don't yeah. know what to expect.
0: Right. You really have to practice a lot. So yeah, Amy, Amy at this point takes the opportunity to, sort of wake up her sister uh who is in this giant creepy looking healing sarcophagus and commands her to go after bone saw. So um so um glory glory girl in this sarcophagus thing goes flying after bone saw and crashing through walls.
1: Yeah. And we're suddenly like in the third act of the fly or something. And I think <laughs> my initial reaction when this happened was just like, "Oh, Amy, what did you do?" because like this is this is awful. Like the decision that she made um, last week to uh, like mind control her sister and take her away. Now she's like building this cocoon out of stuff and and putting her and then like controlling her here, like forcing her to fight. Like it's just like, she's gone off the deep end. Um, She's still hanging on. She's fighting back against Jack, but like, it's just like Amy, like what, what, what did she do?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's creepy. Um so so yeah Amy basically says like I don't care if you kill me just just make sure you kill Jack. Um oh yeah and and it it turns out that Panacea has been using her power to try to kill Jack and Bonesaw this whole time um using a, a airborne plague uh but Bonesaw preempted it with the smoke.
1: Yeah yeah I like this moment a lot because like <laughs> Taylor says, "What about me?" and she's like, "Oh, y- you should be dead too." Yeah. I didn't know you were here. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay. oh, uh okay. Wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but uh so 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 Skitter of course doesn't just like go in guns blazing because she she doesn't want to kill Amy and Jack says, "I suspect Amelia that she is worried about the hostage. The monster that dwells in Skitter's heart is a very familiar one to yours. It's a lonely thing, desperate for a place to belong, and the only thing it wants to be uh to be brutish to is her."
1: Yeah, I love this because it's kind of ambiguous. We it, we're talking about the thing at the heart of her, and we know that there exists this passenger inside of her, but it also is a character trait. And I think this kind of works, and it, as it could be both, um, like it could be this hint towards this this living thing that's inside her that's apparently kind of controlling her, but also is just this perfect representation of uh, Taylor as a person because she does have this 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 longingness in her, and she is like mean to herself and she beats herself up so uh,
0: i I like this moment a lot yeah yeah i feel like jack's read it's not that jack's read on her is 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 wrong it's that he has the he has the wrong balance in terms of the various forces that are operating inside her right right yeah so uh he, he like for example he he does have her clearly pegged as being motivated by guilt
1: yeah but the, but this is this like we talked all last week we we beat that drum over and over again how similar taylor and amy are um mm-hmm. but here is the distinction that separates them here is why amy falls here and taylor does not amy is passive taylor is active amy is burdened by guilt taylor is driven by it and that that makes up all the difference in the world between the two characters um and yeah. that, and that is what separates them and that is why amy can't get past her thing and why Taylor can. And not that that's good for Taylor. Um, it it could lead to bad things, but I think that's, that's the main difference between we see between these characters.
0: Yeah. That's a fantastically clean and elegant way of phrasing that actually. And, and and like you just said, it reminds me of what Taylor said earlier about, um, the, the problem with human resilience is that just because a person survives something doesn't mean it doesn't break them. Um, and, uh, Taylor does survive everything that happens from her, but is it is it not breaking her incrementally? Yeah, is that yeah? I mean, that's that's kind of what we've been saying, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So her and Jack skirmish, and Skitter retreats back to Panacea, who heals her injuries, uh, but balks at healing her agnosia. Uh, again, this is Amy's hesitation to affect brains. Skitter um, cajoles her. Am I being mean to Taylor here? In, into doing it anyway. <laughs> um and and ultimately but basically she makes the case like tons of people are going to die if you don't do this and ultimately amy makes a biological counteragent a new parasite that will create new proteins to undo the damage
1: yeah uh uh, you're not being unfair to taylor she does kind of bully her into this here um but here's here's why i love worm because was it wrong to do um like she saved taylor she saved the entire city. Um, this actually makes the nine go away because by breaking one of her rules, the nine say, okay, we're going to leave. So that happens. Um, Amy technically was heroic here, but she broke her rules again. She doubled down on the thing she did wrong initially that, that she wasn't going to keep doing. And, and each time she does this, it just destroys her a little bit more and a little bit more. Um, I said, Amy was going to die at the end of this chapter. I, I was wrong. Um, but I do think she is destroyed um fundamentally broken here
0: yeah yeah um the um the 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 thing the thing that i the thing that i like to to highlight with respect to her uh to to, to the question of whether taylor is bullying someone it's like um like you said this, this this was the right thing to do but taylor has this blind spot where when she's the one doing the bullying um from her point of view, it's because she's right and justified and the other person is an idiot and and obstructing her and obstructing right, right. the obvious right thing to do. And Taylor's blind spot is that in many but not all of the cases where she thinks she's being bullied, what's actually happening is someone may or may not actually know better than her and is trying to get her to do something they think is obviously the right thing to do. And Taylor's digging in her heels um, because she just has a different idea about it. And she interprets this as as bullying when other people do it to her and as just common sense when she does it to other people.
1: Right. And the unfortunate thing... Uh, for her long-term health is that she's right a lot of the times so like it's only kind of reinforcing this behavior like she is right right here and and resisting when Gruen and and Tattletail were doing it too she was right there too so it's like Mm -hmm. it's like this this reinforcement of this behavior that could lead to bad things because what happens when there's actually a spot where Taylor is clearly wrong Um, And continues to act anyway because she's justified it to herself. And that's what we keep saying. And that's what I think we keep kind of heading to. Um, The the thing that I really love here, we've been talking about differences between Amy and Taylor. And and there's another one is that both of them kind of set up rules for themselves. But Amy's rules are like rigid and like unbreakable. Whereas Taylor's rules are pretty flexible. Um, She lets them like bend and stretch to her needs. So she, she, she never like, she lives by her rules. She never breaks them, but it also kind of allows her to operate independently of them. Um, and it, I think it's the rigidness of the rules that does destroy Amy. The fact that break it one time and you've broken this on, you've crossed this line that you can't look back on. Um, and that defeats her. Now Taylor can, can live and move on from her bad decisions. Um, and that's the difference between the two, but which is better. <laughs> um, <laughs> Taylor's is, like we said, more survivable um, because she continues to go on and, and flourish, whereas Amy kind of ends up defeated here. Um, I, I, do, I have no idea what's going to happen to Glory Girl here, but I don't think it's good. Um, I don't think they're never going to be able to get back to a place where they're OK. But I think Taylor's is more dangerous because it could do far worse damage in the future. Um, but I guess uh, we'll have to see.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's that, that's a great that's a great contrast I think because uh, I would almost phrase it as uh Taylor just you know she she bends her rules and then wherever she bent them to is the new default and then she bends them again next time I think we've we've said right, similar things right. in the past Yep Yeah Yeah So so having achieve, having obtained basically the cure uh Taylor leaves Amy there at the school and tries to chase the nine on Atlas only to realize that they've created false trails using the Uh, mechanical spiders and they've escaped her. And we move into 14.11. So she reasons that the pair will either go after Cherish or go to help Siberian. And ultimately she figures they'll go after Cherish first, uh, but first she wants to seek out Tattletail as backup and also to leverage her power. She finds Tattletail facing down a very paranoid and aggressive Rachel in the street, plus two monster dogs and one monster wolf. So Taylor ends up having to intercede and use her true connection with Rachel to bypass the suspicion caused by the miasma, plus the deeper ingrained suspicion of words on Taylor's behalf. uh, Sorry, Rachel's behalf. Uh, So ultimately, Rachel gets close to her, and Taylor kisses her on the lips, transferring the parasite to her, and gets knocked on her ass for her trouble. Uh, Luckily, the cure takes effect pretty quickly. Uh, and and Rachel's cured, and then she curiously says, "Well,
1: <laughs> I love this so much. It's such a great way to do it." Um, we're at the end of the arc now, and we're also kind of at the end of the entire Slaughterhouse Nine section of the story. Um, so it is not surprising that we're kind of seeing these these threads kind of wrap and tie up. And there's been this this ongoing conflict between Rachel and Taylor um, since Taylor's betrayal was revealed, um, and I think we see that come full circle here. Uh, and that connection allows the cure to be distributed in this this way and this kiss is not sexual nobody fucking ship this stuff i hate that (laughs) word so much don't do it um but this kiss is representative of a bond between two people that care about each other very much not everything has to be sexual uh taylor cures rachel uh literally and uh their friendship seems to be back on track um and it's this this really great moment i love it a lot um also lisa saying no tongue might just be one of the best lines ever um <laughs> it's just perfectly funny and it's funny because like we're, we're, we've moved past the climax of the nine i think we're starting to kind of ease back on tension a bit here and this is just like a wonderful tension leaving moment it's just it's great
0: yeah we're we're clicked back into a little bit of the banteriness of the undersiders yeah and it's 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 welcome at this point yeah, so they, they all discuss the situation. Telltale uh, mentions that she is, or maybe Rachel does, mentions that they've seen Siberian lugging around a case that probably contains Manton, who I guess is probably still recovering from, from Skater's attack, and also accompanied by Hookwolf. Uh, so they're headed north to where Cherish is.
1: You can't see me right now, Matt, but I'm doing my <laughs> I Was Right dance. Because Hookwolf, looks like Hookwolf's joining the Nine um it yeah. was kind of a shot in the dark so i'm glad it worked out for me
0: but yeah
1: just seemed like the most thematically fitting from what i understood from them so uh
0: yeah I, I was i was surprised you guessed that right but i guess i mean i i can follow the logic there where like like he he was the one with really not not so much to lose by joining the nine i guess he, he was uh he was already a pretty bad person
1: yeah yes that's putting it <laughs> mildly
0: yeah so Tattletail and Taylor delegate Rachel to try and find and heal the others. Uh, and then they ride their respective <laughs> mounts to the boat graveyard.
1: I'm just imagining Rachel making out with everyone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It's not a big deal, guys. Just, yeah. Uh, so it's the, the boat graveyard is described a little bit more here. Um, I think up until this point, I had assumed that the boat graveyard was a consequence of a Leviathan's attack. Uh, But actually, it turns out that it was like due to the economic downturn that preceded all the events in the story, actually, uh, because Brockton Bay was already in this decline. And uh, and so it's it's all these rusted out old boats that are that are there due to like basically union disputes, I guess.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I think I think we're kind of seeing a return to a status quo of sorts with stuff like this. Um, because we haven't had these, let's talk about the economic situation in Brockton Bay for a while now, um, because like all these terrible things were happening and the city was getting shit on from a hundred different things, but we're seeming to return to, um, like almost a rebuilding phase now. Like these bad things have happened. Um, maybe we can get to a point where we can talk about how are we going to rebuild the city up again? Um, mm-hmm. I think we've got a long way to go, but I think that's kind of what this this signifier was for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So as they approach the the, the boat graveyard, Taylor senses seven people in the hold of a boat. Um, her and Telltale hesitate before moving in because they're unsure of whether they've been detected by Cherish or whether Cherish, you know, detect is as detected them and is letting letting them approach so they can help her or is pretending not to have detected her so that they'll fall into a trap, or what exactly. <laughs> they actually go back and forth for quite a while, and they're just kind of being circularly paranoid because they can't really decide what to do. Um, ultimately, uh, ultimately, though, she decides um, to trust her gut feeling this time. Uh, she, and her gut feeling is that something is off here, and it doesn't... Uh, uh, she decides not to just attack them and kill them from a distance so she goes in on foot to check it out uh, the trip the ship is booby trapped but she's able to avoid the traps using bugs and then it turns out that the people in the ship are more poor unfortunate souls dressed up to look like the nine and they're, they're just decoys um probably another trap to try to make skater kill innocent people
1: and she wins again two in a row good job yeah. Skitter.
0: Yeah, I wonder, I mean, I wonder if we can mark this as like a character development arc in the sense that she learns to to trust her gut more uh, one way or the other for good or ill. Um,
1: I, I think so. I mean, I think we're seeing like it's, it's really hard to tell with Taylor because she shifts kind of so dramatically. Like we, we talked about it specifically. We used the cool glasses observation. Like sometimes it seems like she takes a step forward and we have character growth and sometimes we see kind of regression. Um, I think we do see growth here. I think we do see. Taylor learning and Taylor uh, growing as a person a little bit. Um I don't know how long this will last. Like we could go back on it in a chapter, but yeah, yeah. I think we do.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think trust your gut more is not necessarily a a correct or an incorrect uh heuristic. I think it's like no win to trust your gut more. Yeah, actually. yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah. yeah. Uh so yeah, so finally pinned to the wall of the of the ship she finds Jack's concession note explaining that Cherish is indeed alive and well at the bottom of Rockton Bay, Bay itself ensconced in mannequins protective technology with her power cranked up to feel empathy, uh, sorry, to feel and amplify all the bad feelings of everybody in the city.
1: Hey, Hey Matt, maybe executing Cherish by shooting her in the head would have like been the good thing for her. Um, Jesus Christ. This is, this is awful.
0: Yeah. makes me wonder why Cherish like wanted them to come, but I guess she, I guess she yeah. still had hope.
1: She still was, she was, she rolled the dice and yeah. uh, got a snake eyes. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: So that's, that's it. That's, that's the slaughterhouse nine section. Um, they leave the city. Um, they've been defeated. It wasn't a big battle. It was kind of a perfect, uh, Jack-ian, uh, battle of, of, uh, a personal battle of wits and emotion and morals. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it was really good. Um, and so, so this is before we move into the interludes, I wanted to just really quick talk about the Slaughterhouse Nine as a whole. And, you know, when we do this, Matt, we, we're looking at, you know, what happens in the story, but we're also looking at why it happens. And not just why as in cause and effect within the narrative itself, but why did Wild Bo create these characters? And why did Wild Bow put these characters against our hero at this time in her development? and i think i think the the way to the way to approach this the way to talk about the slaughterhouse 9 largely is to compare them with the other big bad that we've had so far which is leviathan um and and i think it's it's very key and it's very kind of um indicative of taylor's like wading into this pool of moral grayness because leviathan is this big bad guy that is like completely totally destructive like my almost to a mindless level of destruction and it's this evil that brings everyone together that unites people um like when, when when an endbringer shows up bad guys good guys put aside their differences they all come together and they fight it as a team and they work for the greater good of the city um and it's this uniting effect but the slaughterhouse nine are like exactly the opposite of that um, they divide people, they separate people. We see this here, like we see an attempt for all the groups to join together, um, but it doesn't work. And we see even like, we have this whole meeting out on an abandoned building in the middle of the lake about how teams are going to join up. And we never really saw at all um, the effect of that. Like Hookwolf joined with some of the other groups, but it didn't do anything. Um, mm-hmm. It was kind of completely useless. And I, I love this difference because... Slaughterhouse Nine almost represent this true freedom from authority that that Taylor on some level thought she wanted, um, and and a lesson in kind of what that actually means, um, mm-hmm. because the Slaughterhouse Nine recom- like represent like like complete freedom of choice and complete act acting in in just your selfish needs for just what you want, and that's like I think it's, it's just this important i'm struggling with my words here but this, it's this, this important moment for taylor um for for realizing like who she is as a person and and what the things she wants versus the things she doesn't want and then this perfect representation of this internal struggle that she's going through and i think it's just so fabulously done that at the, here in this moment she's greeted by these monsters that like that like seem to want some of the things that she wants um but in a in a more extreme and terrible kind of way and am i making sense
0: yeah, no, I, I see what you mean. I mean, it, it, because there there is the fact that there is a lot that Jack could actually say that would appeal to her. I, he just didn't happen to say the right things, and he didn't happen to take the right tack. Um, um, I, I, I I don't know. I don't think that he could get her to join Slaughterhouse Nine at this point in the story, yes, no matter no. what he said. Um, but he he like she's she's as she herself has said, she's damaged. Um, she 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 has all of these. Triggers that that cause her to kind of um, shift from being the selfless heroic person who we know she's capable of being into being a very um, uh, you know battle computery type um, um, us versus them self protective person. Um, we we see we see her react in different ways in different situations, obviously, but I think it is interesting. Like uh, when when she's fighting Leviathan, she's able to. She's able to ultimately be that um that selfless that selfless person, and when she's fighting mannequin she's able to be that selfless person again um so so int- i don't know i guess it's just interesting i' I'm, as I'm thinking through this that jack for all the for all the buttons he tried to push, he wasn't able to push her into you know into that headspace that she went into when you know when Gru accosted her at the end of the last arc and and yeah and uh like like that was more successful at pushing her into really bad headspace than anything jack said actually
1: yeah and I, and i do think it's this idea that th- this thing that the slaughterhouse like we've talked over and over again about uh, taylor's hatred of authority and how she she doesn't trust authority figures she doesn't trust it started with school teachers it moved to the protectorate it's like this idea that the government is corrupt and anyone in a position of authority is incapable of of performing uh, their duties in a way that's satisfactory to Taylor. And and like I said, the Slaughterhouse Nine, to me, kind of represent complete freedom from that kind of authority. Mm-hmm. They do what they want. They do whatever they want, and they almost don't even suffer the consequence for it. I mean, some of them die, but, like, Jack specifically, he gets away at the end. He's still free to do whatever he wants, and now he's on this quest to end the world. So, like, it's this complete divorce from any kind of of moral and rational authority and at the end of the day that's not what taylor wants maybe at one point that's what she thought she wanted but what she wants is the correct authority in charge um her it's her she wants (laughs) wants her in charge but i I think that's just an important distinction and i love comparing these two back like leviathan is such a a simple villain um and and we could learn more about the end bringers in the future that complicates this. But for now it's this big hulking monster that comes into your town and starts smashing stuff. And the only way to defeat them is to, to fight them, to fight them and to defeat it and push it back. But the nine are so much more complicated than that. It's it's so much like they defeat, like how they get the nine to leave is first of all, Taylor isn't willing to uh, lower herself to their, to them. And, the, but then Amy breaks her rules like that's how they leave it's such a more complicated nuanced fight and it's so representative of of how complicated things are getting for Taylor how how gray this whole thing is becoming um and 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 it's it's amazing that we do this with a group of villains that are monstrous that are objectively terrible people like no one's arguing that like there's no gray morality around the nine themselves but there Mm -hmm. is around what you have to do to defeat them. And that is such a difference in the in in how everything with Leviathan went down that um I think we're we're just seeing Taylor's kind of descent into this uh place where where morals are kind of up in the air now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, basically it's it's just a wild boat turning the screws on his characters.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Which is exactly. what he does best. And and, and, and uh, it's just
1: it's it's a very natural progression. So so why the nine? Why now? Because this is the perfect villains to approach Taylor and conflict with Taylor in this time in her life when she's dealing with the moral uh consequences of things and dealing with the, her her growing sense of um whatever it takes and it's mm-hmm. just it's it's perfect. It's so good
0: yeah yeah it is it is the perfect like evolution the perfect escalation the perfect next step from what was from, yep. from where Taylor was yep. before <clears throat> yeah I mean there's probably a few things we can hit as as we as we go through the the two interludes, yeah um, yeah that we haven't mentioned yet but but so yeah the the first interlude is uh from sierra uh taylor's Taylor's henchman, i suppose, so we we come in on Sierra and she's hauling dead bodies out of out of various places with a few ex-ABB, ex-ABB members. Uh, she's exhausted, and she heads back to skater, Skater's HQ, where she finds Charlotte wrangling children. They argue about taking care of all the children, many of whose parents are now dead. Uh, they're both clearly just run ragged by things, and it's been a couple days since they had any relief.
1: Yeah, I I love the opening of this interlude. I, I love the interlude as a whole, because it's it's so rare that we get into the head of normal people. Um, we talked about this a little last time with Pigot. It's so like the, not only these normal people, but the normal people um, in the in the middle of all the danger and destruction, and and we're seeing the consequences of this fight. Like they're they're carting dead bodies, um, the, like things are bad. They're doing this, and and they're exhausted, and they're tired, and they're suffering, um, and, and and we don't get to see this a lot. We don't get to see this this like street level consequences of these godlike people fighting each other
0: yeah yeah we, we've we've had a break we've had that a definite break from that I, I think in this arc the last time we saw any of this was when taylor was dealing with the aftermath of shatterbirds uh, uh attack and, right, and, uh, right. and so we almost forgot about it basically but now if anything it's worse in certain ways
1: yeah there, i don't know how many dead bodies they said they carted off that day but it's a lot there's a lot yeah. of dead people
0: yeah yeah, so as Charlotte makes dinner for everyone, Sierra calls to check on her brother. She makes sure that he's being taken care of, uh, her brother Bryce, but in case uh, in case we've, we've forgotten, the uh, the one who ran off to join the merchants. Uh, she learns that he's being taught to use weapons, which she objects to. Uh, and somewhere in here we learn that Skitter hasn't been back for two days and neither has Tattletail, so we're not really sure what's going on there.
1: Yeah, and I think this part right here and this chapter as a whole kind of is shedding a lot of light on the the problem with the kind of authorita- authoritarian rule that Taylor wants to set up here. Because um, as soon as your ruler leaves, everything falls apart. People panic, your control loosens, and then bad things start to happen. Um, so that's what kind of we're seeing here. Like like Bryce is... is, is Training with weapons, so tattletale's kind of lost a grip on her people. Yeah. um we see what happens later that Skidder's lost a grip on her people, and it's just like this is why these things these systems don't actually tend to work in the long run
0: yeah yeah uh, so yeah, I want to draw out this one moment. um I will also decide on a punishment for the boy for being rude and hanging up on his sister. I think we would all like him to learn some respect for his betters. She could imagine him looking at Bryce as he said it. Um, I'd- <laughs> I, I love Jaw, um, the mercenary. I want a Tattletales Mercs spin-off.
1: Yeah, I, I like this too. It, it, it's easy, like in the midst of all this high stake Slaughterhouse Nine stuff, it's it's easy to forget how well Wildbow tends to write minor characters with these little minor beats. And in the grand scheme of this this things, this interaction probably doesn't matter all too much. Um it might, I don't know. But it it is a fun little moment.
0: Yeah, yeah, it would go very well in better Call Jaw. Um <laughs> So she uh, she checks in on on uh, Sirius checks in on Charlotte. Uh, they argue about the O'Dayleys again. Hey, hey, <laughs> they send out the kids to carry the food to people uh, in, in the area. But when the kids leave, they take the front door, which lets the ex-ABB members who are hanging around outside know how to get in, which they proceed to do. God, classic fucking O'Dalies. <laughs> So the the ex-ABB kids threaten Sierra and Charlotte and intend to steal food and supplies, or better yet, kick out Sierra and Charlotte and take over the lair and have a party. Uh, Charlotte shows a lot of fear uh, due to basically being traumatized by similar situations, so they go after her and they terrorize her. Eventually, the psycho Sugita makes a sadistic deal that she's going to shoot Sierra in the hand, the knee, or, or shoot a kid um she does this because Sierra kind of stands up to her and 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 uh that's not going to fly so Sierra ultimately picks the hand to to be shot in the hand um after they threaten one of the kids with a gun
1: yeah and this is us reinforcing that theme we were talking about the the chaos of authoritarianism without the actual authority um sir and and charlotte for all intents and purposes in this moment represent skitter but they that doesn't mean anything if she's not actually there so we have these scum terrible people kind of free to do whatever they want unchecked
0: yeah but not unchecked scott because luckily a terrifying monster has arrived accompanied by a giant walking bug
1: (laughs) can we can we just read this entire section because it's wonderful
0: (laughs) Sure. You want me to?
1: Yeah, go for it. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> a figure stood behind Jan. Her costume was barely recognizable. She wore a short cape of tattered black cloth over her body armor, a skin-tight black suit beneath that, and there were folds of black cloth draped around her arms, around her legs like a dress or a robe. The entire fabric seemed to ripple and move. It took Sierra a second to realize it was crawling with a carpet of insects. The disconcerting part was the girl's face—or lack thereof. Her expression was masked behind a shifting mass of bugs that moved in and out of her hairline. Sierra couldn't even tell where the bugs ended and the scalp began as the small black bodies crawled into and onto the black curls. There was a hint of something like glass where Skater's eyes were, but the bugs ventured far enough over her eyelids and around the frames that nothing was visible in the way of goggles, glasses, or skin.
1: Holy shit, that's scary. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and now apparently Skitter is using her swarm voice almost constantly to the point where she doesn't even realize she's doing it. Um, yeah, so she she kind of, t- in a terrifying supervillain speech way that we've seen her do before, she threatens them with brown recluse bites, uh, and then she makes them drop their weapons when it's clear that the spiders are already on them. Uh, so she proceeds to badassly uh, update Sierra on the situation with the nine while doling out terrible injuries and punishments <laughs> to the ex-gang members. Um, yeah, I like this moment where, where uh, Sierra is telling her that things are not good, and, and uh, we can fix that, Skitter said. It sounded more like she was talking to herself than to anyone in the room. It would have been reassuring if she hadn't been staring down at Yan.
1: Yeah, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Every single time we get to jump outside of Taylor's mind and view her from someone else's perspective for a bit is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really important that like this weight she carries, this guilt that she thinks other people don't notice. It, it's still there. Like you can mm-hmm. see it like it, even even a Sierra recognized in this moment that she was trying to convince herself of something. Um, and. I love that we understand and we know Taylor so much that you can almost like guess what she's thinking in these moments. And, and I think that just makes it even better that like, like we see her from outside and we can kind of think what's her internal monologue saying right now. And it's, uh, it's so good.
0: Yeah. That is interesting that she probably thinks she's keeping it together in the scene, but, but Sierra is like, oh man, she's falling apart. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, she basically ends, uh, Skitter basically ends up telling, uh, telling the gang members to leave Simba and never return. And, and then she kind of collapses with exhaustion. So Sierra updates her more on her territory, uh, the deaths, the incursion of the chosen on the border. And Skitter admits that, uh, uh as the conversation progresses, admits that those weren't really Brown reckless bites that she gave the gang members. um, so I I personally found the whole thing with torturing the gang members to be highly satisfying. Uh, I mean, it's, it's like bad that she's doing this, but these guys mostly deserve it. I know Captain Picard wouldn't approve, but sometimes I have to admit it's highly satisfying to watch Heisenberg crush a guy with a car. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, like Taylor makes so many questionable decisions all the time that like. I'll give her this one. Um, These guys were in her base messing with their employees. There were children around. I'm pretty sure one of them threatened to rape Charlotte. or I think it was Charlotte specifically, because Charlotte has been through that in the past. Um, She handled the situation, right? She didn't take it too far. She didn't actually stab them with brown recluses, dooming them to death or or dismemberment. Um, She just handled the situation, and she did it meanly, yes. Um, It's maybe a little scary, yes, but, you know. She yeah. she handled things.
0: Yeah, one of those cases where even though Jean Luc wouldn't approve, I'm not feeling too bad.
1: Yeah, Lacouture yeah. would approve.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, <laughs> the chapter ends with Skitter voicing her concern that the next challenge will be from the man at the top of the organization
1: yeah in case it wasn't clear enough already with the, sh- the slaughterhouse 9 gone our story is now going to shift to move to this taylor coil confrontation that's kind of been boiling in the background for a while um and and my guess is with this theme of escalation that we thought the consequences on everyone with uh, the slaughterhouse 9 were bad that uh that we haven't seen anything yet
0: mhm i don't know so yeah we move into 14 uh dot the last one, uh, the legend. <laughs> so, uh, legend's hanging out with Kidwin, mentoring him up as Kidwin works on a project for him. We're not sure what exactly he's compiling—something, some kind of software. Legend uh, commends him on his ability to connect with the public, and he conveys to Kidwin that there's been some positive feedback on his actions in the past that he never actually received. Uh, classic Kid Win, he doesn't actually allow these compliments to make him feel good at all. Um, Kid Win, in the course of this conversation, admits that he modeled himself on Hero, uh, the Tinker who had been a teammate and presumably close friend of Legend. Legend muses about Hero's powers, and this sparks an idea for Kid Win. I'm excited to see where this goes, yeah, we too. also learned, yeah, we also learned that Kidwin has been avoiding working on certain projects so as not to seem like he's copying hero, and Legend mentions that having struggled to find his strengths makes him an asset as a potential mentor to others
1: yeah uh, so you and I both know that Kidwin and I go way back uh, <laughs> and 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 i'm I'm really happy to say. Uh, that i uh, adored this moment um i still think kidwin's kind of a doofus and laughing at him is really fun but i've done a real 180 on him and, and there's real heart to the kid and like i really enjoy when someone treats him with respect and the fact that legend this like this larger than life literal legend takes time to share information with him and 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 treat him with respect is so heartwarming because it means so much to it and legend knows it means so much to it and he goes out of his way to do it um and this is really like this is the moment that i realized how much i just loved legend as a character and i know he's been involved in some questionable practices in the past um but it it so far seems that his heart has always kind of been in the right place and he seems like the closest thing we have to an actual like literal superhero in the book so far um and and as i was reeling this this was As I was realizing this, this was the moment that I remembered that we're now in his head, and I started getting terrified that by the end of this chapter, um, the text was going to make me hate him. Uh, So that that was my kind of thought going through (laughs) everything here.
0: Yeah, I I think that's, you know, I I honestly it was too long ago, but I I think I I can empathize with that feeling, and I may have been feeling something similar because we've we've gotten some mixed signals about Legend in the past. You know, like the, the last time we saw him was in fact him looking, like, sort of, you know, terribly, you know, fearful and paranoid and angry and and attacking Vista, actually. Um, So... So we've got a we've got kind of a negative impression on him going into this. So it's kind of important that we actually recalibrate here and see that he's actually trying really hard to be a good person.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a testament to Wildbo's writing that, first of all, he was conscious of the fact that we might need to recalibrate him. Uh, and second of all, he did it in such a naturalistic way that uh, supports what we know about a previous character that we've grown to like and uh, kind of builds him up. So it, mm-hmm. it, it's it, it is very well done.
0: Yeah. So the, the program compi- compilation is done, and so Legend takes the whatever-it-is from Kidwin and leaves Brockton Bay, somewhat happy to be gone. We learn that the whole region might be condemned after all that's happened.
1: Yeah, I don't know fully what that means in the, the concept of the world of, of parahumans, but um, I think it would be such a disaster. And I think, more importantly, it would kind of close the door on Skidder, ever trusting any kind of governmental authority figure Ever again if that happened. Um so hopefully it does not.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's an interesting observation. Yeah. So so Legend flies a great distance, uh, at a constant acceleration, just low enough g force to avoid shredding his body, I guess. Um and as he does so his body turns into a kind of energy state as he gets faster and faster. We learn a bit more about the details of of his formidable power, uh mainly focused on the idea that most powers actually come with a breaker component that makes them uh, that makes the user uh, immune to or able to survive their own offensive power kind of like a fire resistant pyrotech uh, pyrokinetic. i'm not going to go into much more detail here but do you have any any thoughts on on this
1: not a lot i think we've talked before how getting like really deep and nerdy into the powers is kind of the least interesting part for me um I like the detail of it though. I like how his brain tends to shut down as he turns more and more into just like a streak of energy as he goes Mm -hmm. faster. I think that's a really cool beat um, because it seems like his, he even says that he thinks his speed is limitless. Like it could get up to the speed of light if he wanted it to, but obviously there are drawbacks to it too. So I like that detail. But other than that, I don't have much else to say about this. It's cool.
0: Yeah. Speaking of that, I I like the idea that it, it it like kind of scares him actually. Like even, even this guy with his level of power, it, the the idea of it scares him,
1: yeah, you know? yeah, because he's I mean he's never fully done it, right, right.
0: So he he ends up arriving at an oil rig in the middle of the ocean and lands on it and a cauldron portal appears. And he walks through, yeah, right. So this so this is a big I'm I'm just glazing over this, but this is like a huge shocking reveal actually. Uh, so yeah, he walks through and enters a meeting uh, in the. What we've sort of come to see as like the cauldron location or base or whatever, um and it enters a meeting uh, which is uh, where we see is present the remainder of the triumvirate plus the doctor the number man and an unnamed woman in a suit who is allegedly there to protect the doctor
1: yeah and this is when i thought my worst fears were coming true that i, I was just like wild bill you just made me like this guy and now you're gonna fucking do this to me um <laughs> and i guess everyone's just in fucking cauldron now too we have the entire triumvirate um seated next to alexandria let's just say leviathan's there because he's in cauldron <laughs> now too and uh rachel yeah she's in there too everyone's in fucking this organization that i didn't know about um but like it's it was really this moment of damn it, because um, I, I, on the one hand, I was excited to learn more about it. On the other, it's like, here we go. The superheroes that, that we thought were the one thing that was good in this world. It's all kind of bullshit. It's like. Yeah, but yeah. fortunately, we 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 go to a more positive place by the end of this, at
0: least kind of mild silver lining yeah yeah so we we here we see the triumvirate unmasked actually and it it turns out that eidolon is a middle-aged man who looks like he's cosplaying a hero and alexandria is beautiful and has a scar at her eye where siberian clawed her um i i just like that we're getting this peek behind the curtain here um and i like that it's taken this long because that allows us to get a really huge build up uh you know on, on these characters there's been a lot of mystique around these high level characters at this point.
1: Yeah, I mean I think the first time we saw Alexandria was uh, right before the Leviathan fight and Taylor viewed her as this like otherworldly type figure. Um and now we're seeing they're just kind of people. And I think this kind of ties into we started off the section seeing legend as less of a legend, more of a man who was just as affected by the miasma as anyone else. Um, kind of crazed almost affected more by it Um, then we get to see him as a husband and a father who just misses his family like a normal dude and now we're just seeing everyone else in these relaxed comfortable uh, statuses like it's yeah. just we're seeing the human side of these people Um, we're also seeing that they're a bunch of liars and manipulators and
0: yeah <sighs> yeah that's, that's I, I like i like that you you said that, that he's just a man because that's that's one of the first things he thinks to himself in in, in this interlude. Is he thinks he's 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 noting Kidwin's kind of stiffness and he thinks I'm just a man. Um, I think that's uh, very relevant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so Legend updates the assembled about the status of the fight with the nine, and we learned that a lot of uh, we learned a lot of things, uh, and still more things are hinted at. And I'm gonna avoid going into too much detail in my synopsis for the usual spoiler sensitive reasons, but feel free to highlight anything that caught your eye.
1: Yeah, there's a few things that did, and I think we'll get to them in due course and um we'll we'll go through them as we,
0: we okay. get there. All right. Yeah. Um so suffice to say that legend is basically there to confront them about two things. One is the Jack ends the world prophecy. Uh, they discussed the idea that they kind of already anticipated the world going into an awful decline due to the incessant Inbringer attacks. So, this thing with Jack is kind of just incrementally bad news for these guys, accelerating the timetable, as Alexandria says.
1: Yeah, so I think the important thing here is that we learn that Cauldron is at least in the business of helping to save the world, um, even though they kind of see the end of the world as inevitable. So, that's kind of good. Um, <laughs> I think there's there's definite logic to their sense. Like, they talk about how. Every time an endbringer attacks, it destroys a city, and then that causes people to move to other cities, and that just like concentrates the population, which makes each increasing endbringer attack more devastating. Um, and and like, but uh, even on top of that, the, with the fighting between the capes is just bringing destruction in on its own, like outside of the endbringers. Like, they drop two bombs on a city, so like, it, it's just there's, there's a certain logic. Um, but like, I think I guessed earlier that Cauldron it was an organization that generally seemed to maybe want to do good. And I think this sort of kind of confirms it. Um, but also sort of not because we learn more about them very s- s- soon. But yeah. I think it's just, I-, I think it's an organization that lives in that grayness that we've been talking about. And that makes so much sense thematically to the story.
0: Yeah. Right. So the other thing Legend wants to broach to them is the fact that Siberian's projector is William Manton, and thus, uh, and and, and we kind of have to infer a lot of things here, but thus William Manton isn't the one behind the Case 53s, which Legend had obviously believed uh, that Manton was the guy behind the Case 53s prior to this, and he flatly asks the doctor what's going on, and she acts clueless. Uh, and and his teammates back up her cluelessness alexandria specifically confirms that the doctor definitely isn't lying
1: yeah and i'm pretty sure we the reader knows this is fault false already um based on the documents recovered by skitter as well as uh the doctor's conversation with battery um from her interlude beforehand so i think automatically we're like uh what no um but uh, siberian being Manton is kind of a curveball to me i don't i don't really know who he is outside of guy who had effect named after him. Um, yeah. big important research guy. Uh it, it does kind of move further into my opinion of just Manton as creepy old man. Um I don't think he's that's quite true anymore. Um there's something else going on here and I'm really anxious to see exactly what it is. I'm kind of bummed we didn't get anything on what the swan tattoo is because I'm really, really curious about that. Um this liar's not not telling me what it is. But um the other thing that really stood out to me is when uh Legend said the name william manton because we see with the exception of himself the number man and the woman in the suit everyone present reacted with surprise and i think that's very a very deliberate call out i don't know what to do with it um obviously i think the woman in the suit is going to be something that's remains mysterious for a while um we we don't have a lot to go off of right now but that that was very interesting to me
0: Mm -hmm. yeah I, i guess i have my own thoughts but i'm not capable of disentangling the spoilery ones from the unspoiler yeah, ones i pass. Mean,
1: so my guess at this point is we know that the that cauldron has these enforcers that are really powerful people that are kind of completely enslaved by cauldron and, and go out and um, punish people when they uh misbehave or, or don't follow their orders so i'm guessing she's one of that them but mm-hmm. I, I don't know mm-hmm. um the other thing I wanted to touch on is all this information we learn about Alexandria, um, who doesn't just have just super strength, but a super brain as well. She's named after the library of Alexandria. Um, so we, we learned that she's like super intuitive and smart and it's, it's really cool. And, and, and you kind of start to understand why she's one of the most powerful people on on the planet.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And then finally there's this small tiny moment with like a booster shot that uh, I don't, uh discusses needing um again, we have no information on this i'm just draw- I'm just pointing it out because it jumped out to me. I was like, what's going on here with these booster shots um, so I just wanted to bring that up I-, I can't even speculate on this i don't know
0: yeah, I mean it's definitely definitely draws your mind in in certain directions about like you know the, the idea of of what cauldron can and can't do or or, or potentially because yeah, if yeah. they're
1: like capable of making powers, um, maybe they're able to like reinforce them or something i don't know it just, yeah. like it, it it just jumped out at me
0: yeah sure uh, yeah 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 so so after the meeting legend goes to new york city um and it immediately goes to a computer terminal unplugs it from the internet and so forth and uploads Kidwin's software um which it turns out is actually a modification of Armsmaster's masters lie detector and he runs through basically a recording of the conversation he just had um it just occurred to me. I wonder if this level of of ultimately justified paranoia on Legend's part is related to the a- after effects of the miasma. Um,
1: yeah, maybe a, a little bit. Um, yeah. I, I think we learn that it's specifically because of what Battery tells him later. But mm-hmm, maybe mm-hmm. It, it's it's a perfect storm of those two things.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I I love this scene because he's he's basically he's paging through the back and forth of the conversation that we just listened to um but we with with each exchange the program is is parsing it and if if there's a if if it's a lie it's throwing up the word lie in big red letters
1: yeah repetition in in uh narrative is is really great um it it allows you to enforce something and it builds a certain rhythm and tempo to what you're trying to do um has done this already in the when the people uh during the leviathan fight when people died this this repetitive um announcements of their death um and you're right he does it again here to great effect it it adds drama to it um it's kind of like drum beating it's it's really good Mm
0: -hmm. yeah right Exactly. So yeah, so when, when the doctor says cauldron isn't behind the K sixty threes, it's a lie. And here we learn for certainty that legend is a cauldron cape, um which we I suppose we should have suspected by now. Uh, he has his own justifications for it. It even makes a lot of sense based on what he knows and his point of view actually. Um, because you know, ultimately, Cauldron creates safe, trauma-free capes who are more likely to be heroes.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, we're we're in the mind of of one of the highest-ranking people in Cauldron, and it's amazing how little we actually learn about Cauldron mm-hmm. because we learn it from his perspective of a person who thought that the organization was this noble thing that was uh, creating superheroes to battle back against the Endbringers. They have to be secret because. If they weren't, someone would try to take control of their method of production of this formula. Um, But we know all this terrible stuff about them, too. We know they're running this nemesis program thing. We know they're testing on people that either die, become horribly mutated, or slaves. Um, We know they're operating in just about every single organization. COIL, where they're in the Slaughterhouse Nine. They're in the Protectorate. They've got their hands in just about everything. Um, so they're up to something a lot more than what legend thinks they are. And and you feel bad for him because he had no idea. It's like his entire image of the world just came crashing down around him. Everything he believed in.
0: Yeah. Right. And, and it gets worse because we learn also that like that not only was the doctor lying, but Alexandria is lying when she covers for the doctor's lie.
1: Yeah. Yeah. One of his closest companions, they've, these guys have been together forever. Um, and I love this, this thing that he says, um, when he when he learns this, he is kind of surprised. But then when he thinks about it, kind of not surprised because he says she was the most willing of their group to take the hard, ugly road had been since Siberian had hospitalized her. And again, this is reinforcement of what the nine do to people mm-hmm. um, like a, a person as smart and powerful as Alexandria was fundamentally changed because of her interaction with this person. Um, yeah. So we're just we're just we're reinforcing that again. Um, and I think we're going to see through the next arc like the effect that this had on Taylor because if if these people had this effect on Alexandria like can you imagine?
0: Yeah. No, that's a great that's a great observation. Yeah, so so uh, yeah, at this point as as we've mentioned a couple times legend thinks about his final conversation with Battery uh in which she is indeed dying of the poison injected by the mechanical spiders when she was fighting them uh, and she Confesses to being a culture in cape herself.
1: Yeah. I, I feel so bad for Battery here. And like, especially when she's trying to do the right thing at the end and she um it, like confesses to legend and, and and it turns out like at first you read this and it's like oh well legend confessing about cauldron to a cauldron member might not be the best move um it might have like her last breath was for naught but it is this confession that leads to legend's investigation and to to the reveal of the truth for him and i think he's an active and powerful enough of a character that he's probably gonna do something about this so uh, i think battery made mistakes um, battery was a flawed person but I think Battery died a hero, and and I I enjoyed that moment as as much as it depressed me.
0: Yeah, and and I think uh, maybe I'm misinterpreting uh, what what exactly Battery was trying to convey, but it did seem like she had decided she had decided for herself that she wasn't going to follow the directive to let Siberian and yeah. and Shatterbird go. She was no. she was going to try to take down a, whoever she could and. Uh,
1: yeah, I think her plan was to capture one of them and, and mm-hmm. bring them and, and then reveal. I think her plan was to reveal Cauldron no matter what. Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes you wonder if 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 there's more to it than just uh, a bone saw spider. Um, it mm-hmm. could just be that. But it, it makes you wonder. These these people are tricky. Yeah,
0: yeah definitely. So, yeah, we, we finally learned that Eidolon was also lying about. Well, it's unclear exactly what part of his statement was a lie exactly. But. um Uh, it's clearly everybody in the room knows something that they don't want legend to know.
1: Yeah. It's like these four guys were all together. Hero died. um, But the the three of them became the triumvirate and they were like, like they were the guys, like they they were friends and teammates for this, this long amount of time. And they were just lying to him this whole time. And, you know, something tells me uh, legend's not going to take this very well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's not an inappropriate comparison to say that, like, you know, Batman discovers that Superman and the Flash are like secretly working for Lex Luthor or something. Like, it's, it's, uh.
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh, that that wraps up our beat by beat discussion of the second part of arc 14. Um, There's a there's quite a few quite a few predictions to get through today. Scott, let's let's get into it.
1: Yeah, we got a lot of uh, closing of some to do. Uh, So Mm -hmm. let's move those those quickly. Um, The first one is Battery will not perform her third cauldron favor and the results will be bad. Um, this is technically correct she did not yeah. do it and she's dead now so right. <laughs> <laughs> the two might not be related specifically they might be related specifically but we don't know yet but i think that's this is enough to say uh correct yeah. um next i said hook Wolf will join the slaughterhouse nine that was correct he left with them. Uh, the third one is Armsmaster master will be part of the final confrontation with the slaughterhouse nine in brockton bay uh then we'll run off with dragon to hunt dragon slayers um, I don't know about the second part, but the first part is definitely not true. Um, I was a little surprised that he didn't show up here. I really I really did think that was going to happen, um, but there really was no big confrontation, so I don't think there was room for him in what the story ended up doing, um, and I like what the story ended up doing better than any uh, imagined conflict in my head, so uh, I was wrong, but I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four, I said uh, Parian was going to want revenge on the Slaughterhouse Nine and join uh, the group of villains to help take them down. Um parian kind of disappears. We see her um we see her get really screwed up and defeated and then she kind of vanishes and we haven't seen her again since uh, the moment inside her her old home where Brian is terribly mutilated. Um so I'm going to say wrong here. Um I don't I don't think she's gone forever. I still think she's going to be a character going forward, but uh this prediction itself was wrong.
0: Yeah, I think I think she's not so much an active character at this point that she would that she would jump at the chance to to go for revenge. But uh, yeah, I think, I think we'll see her again. this (laughs) guy.
1: All right. (laughs) Uh, And lastly of the old ones, um, Panacea's attempts to save glory girl will backfire and she will die. Um, we don't know what happens to glory girl. Um, we don't know what happens to Amy either. We just kind of leave them here in, in this moment. Um, but she's not dead so i'm going to call that wrong i don't see her dying after now that the slaughterhouse 9 have left i do think amy is broken i still do think that uh, uh that what she did to glory girl what she's doing to glory girl will have some sort of permanent consequence but it was not quite the one that i predicted so i'm going to call that wrong
0: okay yeah i'm 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 just just for the record i'm i'm letting you call these and i'm not really gonna argue too much unless there's unless i can make a good case without any kind of hint at 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 spoilers um that's i'm just saying that for the record (laughs)
1: yeah yeah and and i am keeping track of like we we have a nice nice clean spreadsheet for all these so if if there's ever any text that confirms or uh that reverses the decision right or wrong on any of these we will surely note that as it comes
0: yeah Um, exactly yeah
1: all right uh so moving on to new ones um i i like legend a lot so i'm predicting he's gonna die because this book hates me um so i think i think legend is is a good character and good characters can't survive in this world so i think in his attempts to uh in in the result of these revelations as attempts to take down cauldron uh will result in his death which bums me out but but that's my prediction um Number two, this is I was looking for another one because I, I feel like I have to do at least two, so sometimes I have <laughs> to stretch. Um this is so this is a little bit of a stretch. Um Cauldron is not only aware of the quote unquote passengers, um, but helped create them is my speculation. Uh they seem to have a great understanding of what these powers are, so that's what I'm guessing for that.
0: All right. Awesome. I always always love this segment, as I'm sure everyone else does.
1: <laughs> I, I I guess so. I don't I yeah. don't know why, but
0: yeah, it's, like I said, dramatic irony. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that, that wraps up ARC 14. Pray. Uh, I hope everyone enjoyed our discussion and hearing Scott's reactions. As always, we appreciate your feedback and we're always trying to improve. So, let us know if you have any advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's episode.
1: Yeah, you can reach out to us via email at gotwormpod at com or on Twitter at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85. That's D A L Y. And Matt's is at Um And spell that yourself.
0: Yep. Yeah, that's a puzzle for you. So if you're not already subscribed to We've Got Worm, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts. And
1: as always, you can find this, all the other podcasts we do, and all of our writing essays, film and TV criticism, and more at DailyPlanetFilms.com.
0: And we also have a Patreon page, Patreon.com slash DailyPlanetFilms. Again, as always, D A L Y. Uh, if you like what we do here and want to help make sure that we keep doing more, consider donating a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Uh, special thanks to new producer Ricky B, uh, who has a fun Wheel of Time reference in his email address. Shout out there. Uh, also, <laughs> while you're over at Patreon, make sure you stop by Wild Bo's page and toss some money there because he's the guy that makes this whole thing possible.
1: Yeah, and as always, if you're one of those that can't spare any extra cash, we do completely understand. But there are still tons of ways to help us out. Uh, you could share pod this podcast with literally everyone you know. Seriously, everyone. Yeah. Like, make a PowerPoint and just, like, spam the shit out of your email contacts list. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, uh, yeah. if you're listening on iTunes, you could take a few minutes to rate and review us. Be like runemen 11 who reviewed us this week and says... I cannot stress enough how much I enjoy this podcast. The level of nuance and analysis the two of you are able to tease out of each arc is demonstrative both of your literary acumen and Wilder Boo Boo's writing chops. Is there a thing about saying Wilder's <laughs> name wrong? I've been noticing that in the thread.
0: There, there is. Okay. Yes, it's it's uh, bonus bonus points to miss spelling slash yeah it's it's okay. funny it's
1: okay funny okay so they conclude with please keep up the good work i look forward to following this to its conclusion and then journeying together into worm to escalate harder which is a great a great <laughs> title <laughs>
0: oh it got me uh,
1: you guys are you guys are so nice to us Runman, thank you so much everyone else that continues to listen and write reviews to us and, and thank you guys too you're you guys are the absolute best I always say this to Matt, whoever says the internet is a mean place has not met worm fans. Um, Uh You guys, you guys are awesome.
0: Yeah. uh, We really, really appreciate it. Um, Yeah. So uh, now that we finished another major section, uh, this seems like a really great time for another mailbag episode. Yep. Uh, So please submit uh, your questions. Uh, If, if you have, if you have asked a question or submitted what you feel to be an insightful remark, on a Reddit thread in the past, and we have not acknowledged it, please resubmit it to us. Um, submit it on, on Reddit, submit it via email, uh, tweet at us. Um, I, I, I don't know what the kids are using these days, but, <laughs> but find, I'm sure you can find some way of getting your, your thoughts to us, and, and we, will, we will do a big old mailbag episode and get to as many of them as possible.
1: Yeah, and as always, it could be questions about... Um, anything we've covered so far, uh, our overall feelings of worm, not related worm stuff. We'll do some of those questions too if we have time. Um, I like doing the mailbag episodes a lot because I always feel bad that we just it seems like we ignore some of your questions. We're not ignoring you. We just don't have time to cover them all. As you can see, this episode's already run long again, and this was one that we divided in half. So we just run out of time for this stuff. And 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 I, I love doing the mailbag episodes.
0: Yeah, yeah, me too. All right, Scott, I think that wraps it up for arc 14. So we'll see you guys next week.
1: Bye-bye.